you guys it's time to settle up we played six gigs which means you owe us about four grand hey, hey, hey not so fast there you got stage fees stage fees hey, stages ain't cheap you know well what else is there <sighs> groupie de lousen none of the groupies had lice right thanks to the lousen do you guys even know how tough it is to get lice out of a green room couch and don't forget your bar tab I thought musicians drank for free. Not when your sax player used that their horn as an ersatz beer bong and ate. He tapped us dry. And judging by his lice, he tapped a few other things dry as well. So, with all that, plus my hefty fee and the cut we gave to the police to set up the barricades, looks like you owe me two million big ones. That can't be right. Hey, takes it up with the police. They got some mighty fine barricades. The best in Eagle Land. The even fire retard. Why do they need to be fire retardant? You guys are good, but I'd love to see you play tumbleweed while washing out for fireballs. My name is Gary Butterfield. And my name is Cole Ross. And you are listening to Watch Out for Fireballs. It is a retro video games podcast. And this week we are continuing our discussion of Earthbound, which is a JRPG for the Super Nintendo, developed by HAL Laboratories and Ape, and uh, published by Nintendo itself. Mm-hmm. And this is the, uh, the second part of our coverage of this game. If you didn't listen to the last episode, uh, we go through the beginning of the game and go up to Summer's. Um, this one we are taking it summers to the the to the end of the game, and uh, in the first one we talk a little bit about the history of the game, its reputation. So if you haven't listened to that, I definitely recommend going back and checking that out. And also commensurate with that fact is the fact that we are taking the gloves off, and this is going to be filled with spoilers about the last half of the game, and based on how delightful. Um, some of those little reveals are. Uh, we would recommend that if you have not played the game or if you uh, have any interest in playing the game, do not listen to this particular episode um, and seek out a copy of your own. If you don't care, then, you know. Yeah, which, which would also be fine. I mean, we, we didn't care for years. You know, like we didn't get spoils. <laughs> this has been on my backlog, my to-do list for forever. But uh, I'm really glad that the show gave me the opportunity to get through it because I think that we both agree that this is a real top-shelf gaming experience. Most Certainly. Yeah. So um, the, 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 we, we usually begin every episode with like a plot summary, you know, kind of like what's going to happen. But really, it just continues with Ness trying to save the world from Gigas um, and seeking out the, uh, the, 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 the Your Sanctuary areas to get melodies for his soundstone and also kind of uh, trying to find Pokey as well. Mm-hmm. Right. Pokey has been recruited as kind of lieutenant 
uh, for Gigas. Uh, where we left our, our heroes, you have arrived in Summers, which is kind of a beachside resort town on the other side of the ocean. Um, it's kind of confusing exactly what this is supposed to be an analog for. Um, there's some signs that talk about it being in Ohio. Um, I'm <laughs> sure Cole can attest. And, I, and I've been to Ohio. Um, there's no part of the Midwest that is a beautiful beach resort. I don't know, Lake Erie, uh, if you ignore the dead fish that float up. It's yeah, okay. be, you know, l- lake beaches are the worst. That's <laughs> disgusting. Like, I, when I was younger, my you know my family would take me to those every once in a while. And it's like, go, go swim. It's a swimming hole. And I'm like, swimming hole? It's just <laughs> disgusting. Like, there's just too, too many dead fish and too many teenagers throwing uh, beer bottles in for that to be worth it. So yeah. maybe this whole this whole ocean that you're encountering here is actually Lake Erie. Are you saying that um, there's a kraken in Lake Erie? I'm 100% saying that. <laughs> yeah, so so you get the sense that it's in the French Riviera, um, which is supported by some of the dialogue and also the fact that everything is really, really expensive. And there is a club of, uh, uh, I, w- I wouldn't say Illuminati, but they do seem to be enlightened. <laughs> there's a thing called the, the Stoic Club, and there's kind of a, there's a weird bit here because you... The reason why you come to Summers is because uh, someone who had associated with Pokey said that uh, Pokey told him that Gigas doesn't want you to go to Summers. But kind of from this point out in the game, it's harder to tell why you're going between areas. Right. And and full disclosure, part of that, I, w- I was using a, a spoiler-free walkthrough. But the uh, the other issue is it just a, there's a weird kind of cognitive disconnect. Like, you're going towards a stoic club. And I think, can you remind me, do you remember why you're meeting or seeking them out. Um, you hear rumors of a person who makes mystic cakes. At this point, do you remember, do you know why you need a magic cake? It's like the guy in the museum wants it, right? I think so, yeah. Like, everybody talks about how awesome it is. I, I sought out the Stoic Club. I was in the same this, this the same boat as you. I was using a walkthrough, the, the, the Starman.net walkthrough. But, you know, if, if, there's a, if there's a locked door, I'm going to try and get into it. And you can't get into the Stoic Club without having the password. Right. And just where the, the kind of the progression becomes a lot less diegetic in, in this part of the game. And it becomes a lot more gamey. And they they hinted with that a lot in the first part of the game. But this is where I feel like it kind of goes whole hog. And this isn't even the worst example of it. I mean, later there's tons of Deus Ex Machina just telling you where to go next. Yeah. Which is fine because it's a, it's about the journey. But it's a little bit odd. It's it's something like, and this comes up in the discussion of the game too. Like anytime one of these little hangups gets mentioned, like uh, especially on the Something Awful Thread for as much as we love it, it, a lot of it is hand-waved away by saying, oh, well, it came with a strategy guide. Right, right. And, Which, you know, that obviously doesn't help uh, doesn't help us and doesn't really comment on the design exactly. of the game. <laughs> you know, that, that's really not a, a thing in, in favor of the game. Like, it should it should stand alone. Like, the, exactly. as much as we both love this game, I think there are definitely problems that I have with it. And we'll, we'll talk about that, those as we go. But it just, it's such a, you know, there's this, this game, this Doing this podcast has taught me one thing: is that uh, great games are all incredibly high highs and low lows. Right. Like, it's so rare for me to think of, of games that are, are, you know, just perfect all the way across, and this is no exception. Even though, to be fair, if I had ended up in this town in any game, I would have seeked out something called the Stoic Club. Exactly. <laughs> out of curiosity. At the very least, because when you get in there, it's awesome because everybody is having these faux philosophical conversations about a stone that's on a stage. Yeah, there's a there's a couple of quotes in it, and I had to look look these up. Um, and one of one of the person says, uh, "You know, the show? Oh, it's already started. Everyone just stares at the stone on stage and philosophizes. Doesn't that sound stupid? <laughs> it's it's so good. And I mentioned this on Facebook, and this is something that I feel like something that I love a lot about this game that I failed. To articulate in the last episode, 
But as much as the throwaway dialogue in this game um, is often funny, it's just as often like really weirdly profound. Right. Like there's so much accidental poetry in the thing these people thing these people say. And I just it reminds me of Grant Morrison. It reminds me of that writer, and uh, specifically the Invisibles or uh, Doom Patrol, which is all about these kind of turns of phrases that are just really evocative and uh, and a little bit offbeat. And I absolutely love it. And I wish I had written down more of them. Um, I have a couple of them, you know, to mention when we get to them in this episode. But that was one of the, my biggest delights in this in this game, or just these weird, surreal. You know, there's a guy in Foreside um, who you talk to. He says something like, um, "You know, I I forget why I'm here. Who am I? Am I even a man?" Like, there's just <laughs> these weird little, like, kind of just kind of deep accidental philosophy mm-hmm. in these things. I really, really like. I'm not ascribing it. You know, I know it's to be humorous. I'm not ascribing it tons of deep meaning, but it just you could take it if you want to. Exactly. And I love that about it. I would say the same thing, except replace dialogue with enemy names. <laughs> that happens <laughs> happens definitely as well. Yeah. yeah. No, no, I did. I, I agree with the di- with the dialogue too. There's um, another Stoic Club uh, bit where a guy says, uh, "Didactically speaking, seminal evidence seems to explicate the fact that your refuta- reputation of entropy supports my theory of space time synthesis. Of this, I'm irrefutably confident." <laughs> like they just these, it just it's fun. Like the dialogue in this game is is a treat. Yeah, absolutely. And it just it, it reminds me of the kind of thing that I would say as like a fucking tenth grader walking around with my with my with <laughs> with, with my dog eared copy of Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. You know, <laughs> just like yeah. it's like, yep, that's that's how insufferable people can be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. There, there are a lot of uh, the Soda Club is full of insufferable assholes. Yeah, and uh, you know, regardless of why you're you're necessarily getting into it and how you do, which is just you talk to a guy who has the password. And it's just a random guy in the, in the kind of bungalow area to the yeah. east of the, the town. Um, you eventually, you talk to a woman who decides to leave the stoic club and go back to her cake baking uh, mm. business and get this magic cake. Yes. Which, uh, for some reason, transports you to Wutai. Yeah. Yeah. Protect <laughs> yeah, you now. I, I, I definitely thought of this as, as Wutai as well. <laughs> um, I was I was really kind of expecting to dislike this, this area, mm-hmm. this, this poo area, uh, mostly because I thought it was going to be, you know, there's something about... Um, Eastern mysticism that's a little bit distasteful to me and kind of like self-serious yep. a lot of the time. And uh, But they didn't, you know, they, that, the tone and everything remains consistent. And uh, I actually thought this was really funny. They, they turn a lot of that on their ear. Exactly. Uh, you take control of your, your fourth character, Pooh, who is a prince in this uh, far-off land of uh, Dalam. And uh, he, uh, I love that he is just a, just a hunk. Like, there, there's... <laughs> every every girl is dripping for Pooh. <laughs> <laughs> Good lord! Uh, <laughs> but no, it's it's got this really cool visual design. The mu- the music is stereotypical of what you would expect. But uh, but I love that it's on like this floating island continent kind of thing mm-hmm. for for no real reason at all. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of mystical uh, otherness to it. And the uh, you know there there are crazy rabbit men who are who are who are guarding a, a cave. And you have to, you know, you're you're, you're tasked with passing your, uh, I forget what it is, moo training. It's spelled M-U, but everybody you talk to calls it M-O-O, like a cow sound. Yeah. <laughs> I, lo- I love that training sequence. Oh, it's so great. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really good. Like, the two the two parts of it I really like is it, it kind of is a callback to that waterfall mm-hmm. door where, you know, you're, you're tempted to to go, you know, you're, you're supposed to concentrate on top of a mountain and uh, resist all temptation. And a guy asks you to come down um, and tries to fake you out, and you just have to stay still for a long period of time. Right. That kind of inaction is action. Mm-hmm. 
And I, I fell for it. I fell for it twice before I, before I was like, oh, okay, I got you. Um, the other cool thing is, after you pass that part, you have to fight the spirit of your ancestor, who mm-hmm. uh, basically says, like, hey, why don't you give up your eyesight? How about your, how about your hearing? Oh, you don't need those legs. No arms. Just taking this little boy apart piece by piece. Yeah, reducing reducing you to nothing, which again, yeah. like, kind of accidentally, uh, really kind of profound. Yeah, you know, in the in the middle of all this, this goofy business about, uh, you know, girls lusting after you, and I got kind that. of a I got kind of a torment vibe out of it, honestly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. This this could have been a boss fight in torment, right. and it also kind of calls back, you know, to our perennial uh, touchstone of Final Fantasy IV <laughs> and the uh, the paladin fight. Um, where you know the trick is to do nothing. That's quickly going to take over the center of our bingo card, isn't it? Yeah. What is it now, Mr. More. Show reference? Yeah. Uh, no, I think it might be self-loathing. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> no, Show. nothing. Nothing will supplant that. Yeah, that, that, that's the entire border. Let's make it a corner. <laughs> <laughs> uh, exactly. But yeah, if, I mean, with JRPGs, Final Fantasy IV is inevitable. Yeah. Um, yeah. So after you, so you, you, you receive Pooh, and he just kind of teleports to you as a as a character. Um, you know, I found him somewhere middling usefulness, but one of the weird things about this game and something that really gets uh, highlighted um, a little bit later when Ness gets his, his upgrade, um, is that the other characters in your party are more or less not very useful. Right. He has a really powerful, um, Starstorm ability, but it just takes up a lot of his, his PP. He was my teleport machine until Ness got teleport beta. Like that, yeah. that, that's really what I was. He was, he was an item mule. Um, he, I would have him heal, um, until, you know, until he ran out of PP. Um, yeah, I just, I, he, he never like reached a level where it's like, he felt like he was contributing to my party at all. Right. Yeah. Me, me, me quite either. Um, me quite either. Me quite either. <laughs> me, me, I'm quite either. <laughs> me fail English, that impossible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, way to go, either. Ralph. And yeah, that's like about a stroke. <laughs> me, I'm quite either. Um, I'm in the stoic club. Me, uh, me either. <laughs> and uh, even though, you know, like I said, that mostly applies to the rest of my, my party members. I know that you had mentioned in the last episode you had gotten the pro tip to stock up on uh, multi-rockets for Jeff. So I'm sure he was very useful to you. Yeah. Um, I did not have the inventory space or the money when I came across the shop. And shops become very few and far between mm-hmm. in the second half of the game. So I did not have tons of multi-rockets for Jeff. So most of my party was was more or less uh, there to take hits that Ness wouldn't take. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. No, I, I I spent probably a good half hour at one point, uh, you know, towards the towards like the last third of the game, maybe last quarter, um, just just completely shuffling everything around. I think it was in my in my lead up to going to the final battles and everything. But uh, but like I would sit down and look at my inventory and write down what I needed to send to Escargo Express, what I could sell, and mm. just like or like you know step by step, like who who I needed to give what to in order to make sure that Paula was stocked up on teddy bears that uh ness was stocked up or not ness that jeff was stocked up on monkey multi-bottle rockets and that Pooh was stocked up on brain food lunches right like, so they could so they could fill a role exactly you know, so yeah but but just you know, the the inventory management was such bullshit that i had to sit down with us with a with a fucking legal pad to yeah. do that so well, something i didn't notice until the second half that's really obnoxious too and we didn't complain about in the first half is only being able to buy it one item at a time yeah. or sell one item at a time is really annoying um, so it made those times where I did want to stock up, you know, pretty, pretty annoying. Yeah. And Escargo Express, not unlimited. Uh, yeah. Why? <laughs> why can you only take three things of them? There's no point to that. Um, no, no. Like, like they, 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 it's three pages and that's it. 
Three right. Pages well, I mean, as far as what they can take, but then even shuffling things back and forth, it's going to take multiple trips yeah. to a phone to call the guy back out because he can only carry three things and he can only deliver or pick up. Right. You can't do both. Pro tip for that. Um, if you go back to, to on it, you can go to your home um, and Pauline or whatever her name is. I forget your sister, your mm-hmm. sister. She will. Uh, she, she, she acts as an escargot express drop off and everything. And once oh. you once you have teleport beta, it's really, you know, trivial to, 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 to do that. Yeah, I, I did not realize that, but that's a good uh, a good bit. Yeah, it reduces some frustration. But you get Poo, and like he, he he can't even be upgraded with equipment. You have to find this, you know, the, the, this equipment that's specifically built for him. Mm-hmm. Um, I only I found two items. I found three of that. them. I found three of them. I didn't feel like farming for the pink tail, um, yeah. bingo card, um, in, uh, in in the in the Saturn factory or whatever it was. Uh, to get his sword of kings to actually give him, um, you know, some some attack power. Here's a here's a pro tip: don't make the like one uh, weapon for one of your characters a one in one twenty eight drop. Yeah, that, that's really egregious. I mean, those one in one twenty eight drop things are, are obnoxious anyway, and we talked about that in sort of mana. Um, you know that it's just it's a very Japanese uh, design philosophy kind of thing where if you want to to have that kind of patience, you you'll be rewarded for it. But um, I don't I don't see anybody really needing to do that i think that's insane insane i kept thinking like i would have been really thrilled if i would have walked out and just got it you know there's enough of me that was like into gambling that was like okay if i just run into one that'll be fucking rad yeah and i can see what the hype is about yeah every uh, every time i got a oh he left behind a present i was like oh god is this gonna be it yeah no no such luck no but like there are multiple points that you can go that you can go to from getting poo like you can either progress the story by 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 traveling by boat to uh, Scaraba, mm-hmm. um, or you can go and get a couple of uh, your your sanctuary um, kind of kind of areas, um, which is which I, I chose because that seemed easier than going to Scaraba, uh, just because Pooh was so underpowered. So I went to Magnet Hill and Pink Cloud right after that just to try and like get his levels up. Yeah, I, I also did that. Um... Again, I was following that spoiler for you walkthrough, yeah, and that's exactly. what it recommended. Um, Magnet Hill is pretty obnoxious. Like this whole bit with talking to the two people at the museum back and forth didn't make tons of sense to me. What you know, why you were doing that, and eventually the end result is him saying, "Hey, there's this giant rat in the sewer. You got to see." <laughs> um, I love it just being essentially just like a you know, you know, like a the, like a the modern equivalent of like a YouTube link. <laughs> you know, just 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 for going through all this fetch questing and just being like, you got to see this huge rat. There's this dead body down by the train tracks. Yeah, yeah exactly. Here's and, a hint: know, don't swim in the pond. There's leeches. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wish you could not swim in the pond. Uh, segueing into the sewer part because uh, it's slow as shit. Yep, and it's it's a pretty pretty annoying. Uh, it's and for a sewer, it's actually kind of interesting because it's laid out. I feel a little bit more realistically mm-hmm. than most sewer levels. It's not this maze. Like sewers always have uh, tons of twists and turns and dead ends and exactly the way I don't imagine sewers would. Mm-hmm. And this one is more or less linear. Um, you could imagine it just following under a street right. the way that I you know, I think sewers actually are. Um, even though I guess everything I know about sewers is from TV, movies, and video games. Exactly. Like, I have no conception of what a sewer actually sewer, is. It would be, it would be like, a, like a three-foot-wide pipe. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> probably. I mean, I, I have no idea. It's either that or it's the sewer from Ghostbusters 2. Yeah, and and those are the only points of reference I have because I just I don't I don't know. So I assume that this is more realistic, but I'm talking on my ass completely. Yeah, no, no, it, it's it's not it, it's not sewer level in a video game level of bullshit. It's 
you know. Right. And they just they replace that bullshit though by like quartering your walking speed. Yeah. Uh when underwater. you do have a run button, it's like they hired an intern who said, Hey, uh if you want to make this game longer, just put a bunch of arbitrary like water in the way so that way you travel like super slow. Throughout right. this throughout this entire sewer, throughout the entire deep darkness, and even the even in the land of the lost, like you move so fucking slow and you have no yeah. recourse about it. Right. You just have that shitty skip lunches. Um, which you know, I did not uh, did not take advantage of. Um, there's not that much else to say about the sewer level. I mean, you're fighting uh, cockroaches and garbage monsters. You know, area appropriate. Yeah, monsters. And at the end, you fight a possum. <laughs> it looks like a rat, but because because it had the tail and because it had a baby had its babies on its back, uh, I called it a possum in the notes. It could also be kind of yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a giant rat. It looks a little bit like a possum. Possums are kind of like embosses of real life too. Like if I if I saw a <laughs> possum, I'd be pretty freaked out. Like <laughs> if I. If I spent a bunch of time like talking to you, and at the end you're like, "You gotta see this giant rat." We went down there as a possum. Like I'd be probably as scared as Ness was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you see a possum on the road? Don't break. Accelerate. Yeah, um, <laughs> totally. Spooky animals. Uh, let's 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 have like a whole podcast dedicated to complaining about possums and geese. <laughs> Just all day. Geese are the one exception to your love of birds. Yeah, exactly. It's like it's like you wished on a monkey paw for for you know a bird, and they're like you're like birds, do ya? Well, here you are. Here's, here's a giant, angry, honking monster that will bite humans. It's so awful. Like uh, like like near my house, you know, I drive like when I when I drive north up the Dixie Highway up 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 Highway Four. Um, there's a, there's like a, a retirement home and they have this big pond and it's kind of cool. Cause they have this, they have this sign that's like duck crossing, but instead of having like, you know, just saying like duck Xing or whatever it is, has like a picture of a mama duck and some ducks, you know, like baby ducks mm-hmm. flying. I was like, Oh, that's cool. There are ducks here. It's like, no, wait, it's all geese because geese <laughs> fucking just like ride in and they take over ponds and shit. Like <laughs> the, the Walmart of birds <laughs> like yeah. they chase out the cool birds that you can feed with like fucking hot dog buns. And they just like come after you. Like the yeah. only thing that has a worse temperament than a goose is a fucking peacock. Yeah. yeah. I remember I worked at a golf course. One of my favorite things to do is to go down and feed the ducks. But every summer the geese would come in and chase the ducks away. And then they chase you away. Yeah. I mean, the thing, the thing about geese is that they also hate people. Like it, there's a <laughs> lagoon in my hometown and we used to, there are tons of geese down there. And, uh, you know, you go down to feed the ducks every once in a while. And then the geese would be walking around. Like, everyone was like, yeah, actually, I have to watch out for those guys. I'm like, what, what are you talking about? It's a bird. And then I, <laughs> I was feeding the ducks. And one of the geese just started chasing me and yelling at me. Uh-huh. I just want to be like, look, look, motherfucker, I'm a human. I can grab you your neck you and snap it. Yeah, you don't get to do this to me. <laughs> <laughs> this doesn't happen to me. Not to me. So presumptuous. Yeah, what is what a geese just fucking chips on their shoulders, a man. A shameful, presumptuous bird. Yeah, ugh, geese. Like, we'll just pick a new bird every week and just, or a new animal every week and just explain why it's awful. Yep, possums and show. geese. Yeah, watch out for geese. Watch out for geese. <laughs> so, yeah, I think it's kind of cool that this year's sanctuary, um, possums notwithstanding, are, uh, it's, it, it's right in the middle of town. Like, when you, when you come up above ground, it's like in the backyard of this one building. I'd seen that before. There's a guy when you first go to Foresight who's kind of standing on his tippy toes looking over the fence, looking at all this, you know, alien junk mm-hmm. in the backyard of this building. And I knew that we would come back there, but I didn't know it would quite be quite be now. Even though it does kind of go against formerly all the your sanctuary locations were uh you know, far away from from civilization. Yeah. Which made sense for this kind of corrupting influence, you know, Colorado space thing. Mm-hmm. Be, you know, but this it was kind of a uh, uh, kind of strange to have in the middle of town. But also I guess it could be the urban 
Like this was the urban one with Forsyth being the big metropolis. No, I thought that it was, I thought it was cool. It was, it was a neat little exception. Um, Super frustratingly, you can't teleport from that area. Nope. You got to walk all the way back through the sewers. (laughs) So bad. And they do that again later on for one of the better dungeons in the game. Oh boy. Do they ever do that? Um, (laughs) Oh boy. Oh boy. Yeah. But when you're down there, you find a carrot, um, which is your key to get past the rabbit guardians who look like the 10 men from Akewood. Um, Mm -hmm. These just big black rabbit people. Um, to get to the other your sanctuary the pink cloud right right and this this is not not that bad of a dungeon if i recall it this does is... it does have kind of the, like the like the the, the the seventh dungeon of uh link's awakening like the eagle tower kind of thing where you have to climb all the way to the top and then jump down specific holes mm. to, to, to to get to where you need to be right 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 <laughs> this is the one is this where you who's the uh, you have a note here that the boss is easy which boss is this the thunder and lightning boss yeah thunder and lightning really really easy i thought yeah not too bad at all yeah um especially considering some of the bosses are coming up they're real sons of bitches yeah um this one is, is not bad at all and especially if, if you have the franklin badge oh especially like never get rid of that ever yeah. always keep that on somebody in your party uh, most likely ness who ended up being my mule for story important items yeah. Um. <laughs> well, because he's the only one who doesn't need that inventory space to be useful. Right. Everyone else, you have to load up that inventory space with utility. Mm-hmm. Whereas Ness is the only one that can kind of stand on his own as a character. Exactly. But yeah, uh, after you beat the you know the pink cloud, you really don't have any other any any other place to go, except to go back to Summers and ride on the boat across the ocean to Skaraba, which I assume is Egypt, which mm-hmm. does actually support my theory that Summers is in the French Riviera because you're traveling south and you would logically end up in North Africa from that point. So Yeah, that makes yeah. makes total sense. Take um, that geog- geography. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um on the uh, on the the boat across you get attacked by uh the Kraken in this game, um, which is, you know, something that happens in JRPGs mm-hmm. um, on the SNES. As you're on a boat, you get attacked by sea monsters. Um, see also Leviathan. Uh, see also Final Fantasy IV, <laughs> in that matter. Um, this is not, like, a particularly tough boss fight, I don't recall, but uh, it, is a, it is a pretty attractive-looking boss. Yes, and they reuse the sprite a little bit later to pretty good effect. Um, he looks mm-hmm. kind of... He doesn't look so much like a, like a, like a sea monster. He kind of looks like... Uh, What's his name? The the, the plant from uh, Little Shop of Horrors. Yeah, yeah. I was just about to yeah. say that. Um, Audrey. Audrey 2. Feed me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, uh, it looks a little bit like Audrey 2. So having having beaten the uh, the Kraken um, and cleared the seaway, you end up in uh, Skaraba. Um, Skaraba is is pretty is pretty you know standard little town. Um, there's a marketplace. Uh, there's this is where every, and everyone is selling snakes, like in, <laughs> in like bags of snakes and everything. I didn't have the inventory space for this, but I was really confused by it. And then eventually, I bought one and saw what I did, and just a one use poison yeah. item, so not that useful. But I like the idea of these kids buying a bunch of snakes to throw at monsters. <laughs> I, I, I love the idea of of Ness and company leaving Scaraba like like Pee Wee at the end of uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure when he's rescuing <laughs> the snakes from the from the pet shop. <laughs> 
one of my favorite scenes in that movie. Like, every time he looks at the snakes, he's like, no. Like, it's so funny. Like, he rescues all the cute animals. Yeah, this movie's so good. He's just got like, these big handfuls of snakes. <laughs> <laughs> but what's funny is like they, they sell you a snake bag but there's no penalty for just carrying a snake with you like, yeah that's why that's why i thought it would be yeah I, th- I thought like okay if you if you carry a snake it'll it'll like poison you or something right. but it would have been a cool touch like a cool little like kind of annoying mechanically but you know would have been yeah kind of clever because, but not the case because you could you can actually pick like you can get snakes as presents Mm-hmm. Yeah, you find you find snakes inside gift boxes. Oh, oh standard gift box of snakes. Can't it's like a uh, fucking uh, uh, Kill Bill. Kill Bill too. Yeah. <laughs> You're constantly getting briefcases full of uh, black mambas. So open up this can of beer nuts. Ah, a real snake, not a spring snake. You fucker. <laughs> um, is this the first area? I think this might be the first town. If it's not this, it's in Tenda Village. Where instead of there being an ATM, there's a money changer who charges you a hundred percent interest rate. Yeah, money. <laughs> this guy, this that was fucking annoying. Like, did I mean? Was there anything to recommend this this weird change? That there are no longer ATMs in this part of the world. Um, I get it made sense in like a story way if it's supposed to be kind of more more backwater, which is a little bit you know imperialist and <laughs> racist. <laughs> a little, and little bit ping pong, yeah. Yeah, um, the, the, uh, man, is that annoying though? Because it's like money isn't really an object at this point. Like I have enough money, but and you can teleport, so there's no. It just added inconvenience. Exactly. Like, instead of doing this, I would just teleport back home. Mm-hmm. It's it's one of those things. Like at some point, like Pooh leaves you. Like his master comes and says, you know, my my home planet needs me, and then he, <laughs> then he flies flies away. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and and Pooh's gone, and he's the only person who has a usable. Uh, teleport spell so like you're trapped at that and i think it's like their way of trying to uh provide like a money sink to make it just so that everything had some kind of cost like to get access you know to to Mm -hmm. it but i guess i mean i guess it underlined you being in these kind of foreign parts of the world being far away from home i don't i don't is this where you lose poo because i didn't like that either i thought that was really dumb like to get him this quickly and then just have him like your planet needs you and then just have him come back arbitrarily without ceremony later. You yeah, know? like it's, I don't, I don't really understand what that added to anything. It's like right around here because I remember being really frustrated that I couldn't, that I couldn't, couldn't teleport because God help you if you ever have to use teleport alpha. And it's, and it's really where like the the game kind of like puts the brakes on, um, and everything up through like the, you know, when when you get to the Stonehenge base from here, it feels so padded. Yeah, this this is a real saggy middle this half of the game and you know the stuff right before this the kind of uh i'm gonna say the the middle of this game sag in general you mm-hmm. know going from the uh um the gold mine dungeon that we kind of ended the last episode um up until you know really until to the end of the stonehenge base um and when you get go back to the past mm-hmm. this is a real saggy middle for this game with like a couple neat ideas but really not too much to recommend it like this could have been could have been more or less cut out, or at least undungified, then would have been would have been great. So this this is this is you know the darkest before the dawn yeah. um, period for Earthbound, and this is the beginning. Of I'm that. sure there's some kind of like fucking TV trope page for this, but like there must be something like disc two syndrome. Yeah, you, you yeah, know? yeah, or like or like more accurately like disc three. Like I'm thinking about um, like Final Fantasy nine. Oh, like yeah. every time I replay Final Fantasy IX, I play disc one and two, and I'm super happy. And I get to disc three, and I'm just like, ugh. There's like some <laughs> you're making me fight with Queena or something. Yeah, you're exactly. Making me like, fight I, with Queena for real. Okay. <laughs> what are you What are you doing? 
Uh, you know, the uh, so this is this is pretty frustrating. The the pyramid part is not that bad. It's fairly short. So in Scrabble, you just you head towards the pyramids. You've gotten a, a hieroglyph, mm-hmm. um, which you traded magic cake for, in the uh, in museum in Summers. Yeah. And uh, you're you're going into there because there is a, a sanctuary location or the means to a sanctuary location inside. Right. Um, I like the puzzle to get into the pyramid. Like you know, the the, the answer being in looking at the the hieroglyphs that you get from the from the museum um it's the only puzzle that's like that in this it felt kind of almost zelda like to (laughs) to step on the buttons at any given time i thought the pyramid itself was kind of bullshit kind of contrary to what you said it was really backtracky like you go to the top and there's a strained sarcophagus then you climb all the way back down to the bottom on the other side you you kill a you, you kill a guardian and for some reason that makes the thing at the top move away I guess you're you're right. Like it's just, it's very it wasn't as long as some of the the later dungeons. Right. We're moving into. I'm just this is all just hatred for the gold mine and deep darkness um, <laughs> that's coming through in my voice. So it's not as long. I guess it is obnoxious though because this is where the game underlines one of these things where one of the the qualities that Earthbound is really lauded for that I think it gets maybe a little bit too much credit for is that lack of random encounters. You know mm-hmm. where there's and that's all well and good, but if you can't actually avoid them, there's really no difference than you know, than just having a random encounter. You can clear the screen, which is nice, but being in this part, there's all these narrow corridors you have to walk through, and there are hieroglyphs on the wall that actually come to life and attack you. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's no way to avoid them. They're way quicker than you are. And what's really the difference between this and just having a random encounter and having a certain number in the you know in this area? Exactly. There's really not too much of a difference. So I think it, this game gets a lot of credit for that innovation, which is not very much of one. Mm-hmm. It's not as bad as like Final Fantasy Mystic Quest, where they literally set up monsters at choke points, where well, you just can't walk past them, and that's the point. Well, that but, ha- that happens in uh, in, Cro- in Chrono Trigger and also in Parasite Eve, too, where there right. are just points where you cannot proceed without getting into a bullshit random battle. But I think there are points where you can. And in this game, I, I feel like the when the enemy sees you, it's so quick... Um, and it's so risky to try to run away from them because that's going to give them a back attack. Yeah. So it's really hard to avoid enemies. Mm-hmm. And so it just it's it's a kind of a neat innovation, but doesn't go as far as maybe. It's maybe it it's only as good as the area that you, that you're trying to na- to navigate. In wide open areas, it's okay. In this kind of place, and also in the Starman base, which we'll get to, um, it's really irritating because it's really narrow, and right. there's no way to really avoid those things. Right. And if you try and run, not only will they get back attacks, but you also have the uh, you also you know have the ability to get to you know to, have to like gather a train. Like you'll aggro a bunch of people and just kind of like oh, instead of just dealing with one person, I am actually dealing with many many more at a time. So after you get through the uh, the pyramid um, and you leave that, I can't remember. Do you actually get a sanctuary there, or do you just get another plot MacGuffin? You get another plot tours? MacGuffin. It's it, it's like one of those things where somebody says, oh, the the the, the tower in the northeast of the desert seems kind of important but i lost the key so you go and you get the key um which is your uh ticket into dungeon man yeah i i love this this was a brief uh bright spot in the middle of this this area so Dungeon Man nice. is awesome. I, I knew he was going to come back, and this is really satisfying. Exactly. Like, this is the best possible way. His his whole thing, like of being like, I'm the first intersection of man and dungeon. Doctor Andenitz like lets him live out that fantasy. 
Yeah, in, in a twisted, terrible, like, <laughs> like just way. horrifying kind of way. <laughs> yeah, so, so he literally becomes a man. What is a dungeon? <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, and and it, it, it's it's pretty awesome. Like I actually I I like this part. Yeah. it's a little bit like there's a little bit of toughness in the dungeon that is Dungeon Man mm-hmm. in in fighting those monsters. But he also functions as a town, um, you know, and and uh, the premise and stuff was delightful enough. Yeah. The, the 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 signs that are that, that that are strewn about to either like tell you like oh you're by my belly button now yeah yeah <laughs> in his body yeah like the I am Jack's liver of, of a dungeon <laughs> man but like right when you first walk in like there's a sign that says ninety percent of people will walk right when you know, at this intersection it's like okay uh, so you walk right and you'll continue into the dungeon but if you go left you'll find a free resting point a phone an ATM and a hospital. How do you hire the doctors for that hospital? <laughs> like, I know, like, work is hard to come by, and, like, you know, certain degrees you have to travel to get work. But they're just like, well, you know, oh, it's a job in Egypt? That's interesting. Like, I, I like hot weather. I can handle that. And then you show up there, and you're interviewing with, like, your boss slash, you know, building you'll work in. <laughs> you know, who's just like, come into my pancreas and, and you know, practice medicine. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. But I, I, and when I first saw that sign, like it doesn't really do too much of this, but I thought the whole thing was going to be stats about how people navigated him. Mm-hmm. Since I can imagine him taking meticulous notes on how, cause that's his, he's a single issue voter. Like he's, <laughs> he's interested in dungeons. And, uh, the, uh, but I, I love dungeon man. I love that. Like when you get him, you know, eventually when you, you make your way to the top and you jump down that pit, he follows your stomping around the desert and yeah. he's huge. Like he's still the size of a building. Mm-hmm. In the game, and that, that's you know the kind of imagination that people love this this game for yeah. this building size man. He's got a zoo inside of him, and he also later on you find out that he has a he has a collection of defunct like machines inside of him too. In, in a ridiculous Deus Ex Machina. Oh God, yeah. Like, oh, we need a sub. I think I have one in my belly. <laughs> yeah, uh, you, you and he he follows like he escorts you, and he's a really really powerful guy. Like anytime you get into a random fight when he's trailing you, he'll just obliterate everybody in your way. But but uh, when you enter the deep darkness itself, or like you get to the point where you have to, uh, you know, like to the submarine dock, he gets trapped between two palm trees and like, oh, I guess I'm going to be here forever now. Oh, well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> He's like a, a, a Terran base in the Starcraft. Starcraft. Like he gets to relocate whenever he wants. Exactly. Um, I, I hate deep darkness. So fucking bad. It's like. Yeah. It's just it's it's like it's like all of the worst parts of, of the dungeons of this game. Just like slow, you're in water, you're not fighting interesting enemies really. Um, Even the big area boss is just a reprise of an earlier boss. Yeah, like this out of every dungeon in this game, like this one felt the most like padding to me. It was so devoid of any kind of just spark, of any kind of yeah. inspiration. Yeah. And I thought from the name, like when I was just reading the spoiler for your walkthrough, I was like, oh this could be cool. You know, it's like the deep darkness. Like maybe this will be some kind of imaginative, you know, look into the void, uh, a terrifying existential earthbound stuff. Mm-hmm. No, it's it's a swamp. Right. Yeah. Or like, you're getting and- eagle eye. That's what you're getting. This whole part of the, the, like that whole sequence of events feels like it's from fucking Sword of Mana or something. Like you had to get the, the eagle eye to look through the darkness. And that is, that is a bland, you know, problem and solution for yeah. earthbound. It's below this game. Yeah, it'd be. It would have been great if this would have been like a takeoff on Heart of Darkness, and there was just like some kind of like crazy. Like Matt, Master Barf had had lost it. Yeah, and yeah. Had been like been, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, institutionalized by the alligators and uh-huh. and stuff. That would have been pretty amazing. Yeah, like, but they just totally they totally wasted that. Um, <laughs> and th- this is something that we didn't talk about in the in 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 the in the previous episode. But I love that the merchants that you that that you get 
uh, Jeff's items from are that they're all these like camouflaged NRA kind of people who are just like, <laughs> like soldiers like, of fortune. Yeah. Like Nicholas Cage and, and fucking Lord of war or whatever. It's kind of like, Hey, 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 check out this and check out this great shit. Except well, he, instead of selling M sixties, he's selling, you know, bottle rockets. But that's the equivalent to kids. Like you're yeah. just saying they're saying kids, uh, you know, hot, you know, M eighties and stuff. Mm hmm. That's uh, that's like the same thing. Yeah, that is a good, uh, good point. But he also sells them death rays, and like I can't help but see it as a, <laughs> as like Japanese commentary on just like America's gun culture. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Uh, but but yeah, like this is this is the place where you get the instant win button, which is the multi bottle rocket, which will kill any boss in one hit. Yeah, which I did not stock up on. I bought a couple of them and used them on a couple bosses, but ended up having to power through some of these later bosses. It was very difficult, um, but that was my—I mean, kind of my own fault because I knew that I should have should have bought them. I just didn't have the inventory space for it. Mm-hmm. Kind of the game's fault for not telegraphing that, or just by putting in a weird instant win item. It's easy you know? enough to go to get back to him, though. So that's was, true. I could always top myself off whenever I wanted. That's true. I definitely could have done that. Um, instead, though, I, I just kind of powered through uh, the deep darkness. Probably, yeah. you know, I don't know if I liked it less than the gold mine, but maybe my least favorite part of the game. Yeah, it's 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 the it's one of the nadir. Yeah, um, it leads into a nice place though. Like yeah. I like uh, I like Tenda Village. Yeah, Tenda Village on it starts to starts to pick up the pace just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like Tenda Village, like Tenda Village, it's full of these uh, things that look like the dinosaurs from Chocolate Island in uh, in Super Mario World. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're very shy. Like none of them want to talk to you. Um. And just kind of like uh, I, I forget what the impetus is, but there's a boulder that's blocking the uh, the entrance to the next year sanctuary, which is Lumen Hall. Um, but uh, you know, since nobody wants to talk to you, you can't get the strong person to lift it off. So you have to find a book to cure shyness. And getting the book again, like I just talk about those those quotes that I like that feel like Grant Morrison lines. Like the guy who gives you, I think it's the guy who gives you the book in the library. Like this is a quote I wrote down. Um, he says, uh, hi, nice to meet you. I'd really love to sit down with you and chat with you someday. I'll talk about my adventure and you can tell me about all your mistakes. And like, the, like you can tell me about all your mistakes. Like, it just sounds like a song lyric to me. Yeah. You know, it just, it's so good. Like, it's been so good. Mm-hmm. The idea of giving them the books, there's a couple other really neat things in uh, Tenda Village as well. Like, you get a second coffee scene, mm-hmm. um, which is nice. Like, those are really pleasant. And uh, I really like those. They're kind of just these pep talks, really. Yeah. It's um, like, think so about how powerful you've gotten. Yeah, exactly. And they're, they're kind of meta in that way. Like, think about, you know, the last time this happened, think about where you're at and think about where you're at now. Um, but the whole chain of events that kind of like leads to getting this, you know, how to cure shyness book, it's kind of like, you know, for want of a nail kind of thing. Yeah. Um, it's like this big shaggy dog, big Lebowski kind of story where kind of like, oh, the book has been checked out by the Apple kid. Um, and there's all this deus ex machina that happens at once where you get phone calls from a bunch of people. Uh, basically, the orange kid or the apple kid—they're—they're—they're in—they're in winters with uh, Doctor Andinitz, and they're kidnapped, and you have to go rescue them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the uh, um, which is which is all well and good, and it ties into the greater story a little bit, and it gives you a chance to listen to the winters theme again, which I really like. I can't remember if we mentioned that. Um, it's got those in nice the last sleigh bells in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's very pleasant. Um, I download I downloaded the, the soundtrack this game which as we'll talk about later um is you know is excellent all the way through as far as tonally for the game but shuffling on your ipod every (laughs) once in a while you're just you know jamming to something and then like gigas theme (laughs) three pops up and it's just like oh my god (laughs) 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 that's the the 
the Gigas music is all dissonant. It's yeah. all like metal machine music. Mm-hmm. Like it's not uh, like you know just the beeps and boops. Right. It uh, it all sounds like Lou Reed wanking in the eighties because he's <laughs> unstoppable. Nobody can criticize anything he does. Uh, <laughs> but but yeah, you go back and uh, you go to kind of like what feels like the beginning of the end game. Mm-hmm. Which is yeah. which is the Stonehenge base? Yeah, Stonehenge base is pretty cool. Like it's it's definitely otherworldly and like high tech, and seems like it felt you know. I think you have in the notes it feels like a final dungeon, and that's definitely true. It feels a little bit like the the lunar base in Final Fantasy IV. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just this kind of uh, extraterrestrial dungeon with really tough enemies. This is when you start running into the Starmen. Yeah, and Starmen they don't just run at you; they will teleport behind you, uh, which means that. If you get even just a gray squirrel, you should gray squirrel. God, a gray swirl, you should feel lucky because most often they will attack you from behind and get an extra turn on you. And, and they're pretty tough. Yeah. Um, this is where you can, if you mm. are insane, grind for that weapon for poo. But uh, we're not insane. Nope. So we will continue on. Um, this is a huge dungeon. Like it's very multi-level. There, like there's one of those areas that does that wonderful thing where the, the lights are off for a lot of the time, but then they'll flash on just just long enough to show you the path. Then they'll mm-hmm. flash back off. Um, it's mm-hmm. it's big enough to necessitate an exit rat or an exit yeah. mouse, which you can treat it as an item because he's tough. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> treat him as an item. Yes. I love it. man. I'm telling you. He tr- he tr- accidental he treats, poetry in this game. Like he treats objects like women, man. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but uh, at the end of this is a, is a fairly disturbing scene where pretty much all of your loved ones and acquaintances are being held in tubes. Mm-hmm. What is it? Star, some kind uh, of tube? Starman. Yeah. <laughs> is it noon already? Um, <laughs> yeah, be, being uh, uh, you know held held by a Starman boss. Um, that I don't particularly remember being tough is this this is not the two part like I, I the chronology is confusing me the boss that i want to bitch about what eventually comes up is a uh, diamond dog yes and that's the, not yeah that's in fire spring right yeah that, that that's like okay. right before you 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 begin the real end game this one i don't remember being too tough no it's just a starman deluxe um yeah you know, just love <laughs> their names like Star. I love Starman Deluxe. Yeah. Later, they're Ghosts of Starman. They all sound like Harry Nilsson albums. <laughs> and like the, uh, but uh, Starman Deluxe. Like I love upgrading to the the Starman. Would you like the Starman or the Starman Deluxe? <laughs> Starman Royale. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Star Royale with cheese. Exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, this is the, like this is one of those things. Like like uh, after a certain point, shields become like invaluable. Both from the stance of like you need Jeff's neutralizer or whatever it is, the shield killer to, to take down shields. Otherwise you're going to do damage to yourself and you need to figure out what Paula's shield spells do because, right. because like these star men, they will all use size stars on you and it will like just completely fuck your world. Right. And the, uh, the, so the, the two things where like one, I wish there was a, a help button for the spells yeah. so you could see what they did because a lot of them, you know, all you can tell is how many enemies or how many allies they affect and knowing what they actually do is entirely trial and error, which is a little bit frustrating. The other part is it just kind of interesting because this takes the, the persona route of, you know, JRPGs where status effects and, and defensive items are totally key as opposed to being the superfluous thing that never works. It comes to the fore. Um, but you, you defeat this guy. I forget like what, what sets off the plot other than, you know, you, you, you set all these people free from their tubes. Um, you don't jettison them out into space. You, well, the, the guy tells you that he returned the book. Yeah. He, he will <laughs> that's return what the it book. is. Yeah. Um, Apple <laughs> so kids just, like, Oh yeah, I don't need that book anymore. Yeah. 
Like, so I'll return you, it. You don't even have to. You didn't even have to go on it, except it was just, oh, I saved you. Okay, cool. So you get the book and you teach the uh, the, the the tendas to uh, to speak. You know, not to, not mm-hmm. to be shy. You you get them to come out of their shell. You know, they take their glasses off, they let their hair down, and mm-hmm. uh, they're 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 beautiful little dinosaur creatures. Yeah, it turns out the librarian was actually a hot woman the entire time, and uh, you wouldn't have known though <laughs> because she wore glasses. It's like took this dinosaur person to prom, you know. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, right below the Tenda Village is uh, Lumen Hall. And uh, it's really cool. Like, this is really visually striking and really, you know, pretty looking. I, I talked about it on Facebook as just being, like, the beginning of the, you know, pulling out of this, this dive that the game is in. Uh, where you go in and your your thoughts are projected on the wall like a Times Square scroll. Yeah, like a know, dot matrix uh, LED kind of kind of situation as the melody plays in the background. Yeah, it's 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 pretty, it's beautiful. I mean, it's it's like a, a, a moonside. You know, it's, this game does get so much uh, visual use out of black backgrounds and and colored you know lines and colored uh, foregrounds, and just uses that to such great effect. It's it's dynamic range is what it is. It's not it's not confined like a lot of modern games to these really limited color palettes. Like it's not afraid to just go crazy. Yeah, and have, and have everything kind of, kind of, kind of, just every area be defined by these wildly different color palettes, while your characters remain the same. Like the only, like the only modern game that I can think of that does that really well, um, modern game that is where it's not entirely the point, like Child of Eden or whatever. That's that's its own kind of thing. But uh, Warcraft, like uh, World of Warcraft, does that really well. Mm. Um, and this one for being an SNES game and not being confined to like these primary colors, but to explore those different kind of spaces. Uh, really, really kind of daring and notable. But uh, you, by by beating this your sanctuary, you're given kind of access to the last main area, the last new area of the game, which they call it the Lost Underworld. But let's face it, is actually the land of the lost. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> the Stone Age. Your characters are super tiny, three pixels um, walking tall. Around. Yep, walking around on the, on this map, and uh, the enemies are dinosaurs, which are are to scale. Yeah, are huge, and you're kind of running between little uh, bits of civilization. Yeah, um, trying to uh, to make your way to your next location. The, um, there was frustratingly, you're or go ahead. Uh, there was a schism in the Tenda tribe. All of the Tenda who liked to talk went to the lost underworld, and all of the ones who were shy stayed up above. Mm-hmm. And the uh, what's frustrating about this is it, the walking speed problem comes back again um, because you're tiny, and as a perspective thing, you move really slow. So to scale, you're probably moving faster than you've ever moved in the game. <laughs> but but for, by uh, you know practically, you're you're moving at a crawl again. Um, instead of having hospitals and inns here, there are these geysers. Uh, which also makes everything move more slowly because when a geyser is about ready to uh, to go off, the screen will shake for a couple of seconds and then you can't move while the geyser is going. They will heal you and they will take away your status effects. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, that's incredibly irritating, especially when there's a dinosaur on your tail. A dinosaur who will fuck your shit up. Yeah, the dinosaurs are really tough. Yeah. Um, if you can kill one of them, it probably theoretically makes this a good place to grind as well, given that um, you can just kind of hang out by a healing spring. Yeah, and and fight them, but uh, I didn't spend any time doing that. I no. was cruising through at this point. Um, you spend a little bit of time in in a village in the Lost Underworld. There's not much of note there. I think there's only like six people in it. Um, the game is kind of pushing you forward. 
at this point to the, the real the real showcase. One thing that's kind of neat is on your way to the Fire Spring, which is the next uh, York Sanctuary location, um, you can get a preview of where you're going to go um, in the end game because uh, there's a, an area where you can go to the Cave of the Past, and you're just on this little rocky outcropping. You can't see the entire thing, but you can see where you're going to end up. Yes. And that has some really striking music. No, I'll either put it in here or I'll put it in the beginning of the episode because it's really totally this weird sample of the beginning of All You Need Is Love. Um, dissonant, <laughs> really, crawling, lurching, drunken sample. Really catchy, kind of like you, just, you know, think like this is, <laughs> man, there's like some band really could have put this together. Like the way well, it's, it's, it's not catchy at all. That's the thing about the music in Earthbound is it's either like really great classic NES music mm-hmm. or just really daringly dissonant, you know, uh, uh, ugly experimental music yeah and kind of in equal parts mm-hmm. you know um i think there's more of the latter in the latter half of the game but oh yeah you know because there's there's not that much there are only a couple you know real earworms in this part of the game most of it is just this weird experimental atonal nose noise stuff yeah um, especially in the final area of the game which i really again i really liked but it is not that much more fun to listen to are, are we in fire spring did we, did we introduce that yeah, yeah yeah we go to fire spring next after you preview the uh, cave of the past um, and this is like th- this felt like the most uninspired of the your sanctuary kind of things. Like, ah, oh, man, we're underground. What are we gonna do? Oh, lava level. Why not? Yeah, there's not much to this. Um, you do encounter what I think are the only other psychics in the game. I mean, that's probably true. Yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> yeah. There's a crazy psychic enemy um, yeah. that also has psi powers. Um, so, there, so there's Ness and Paula. Mm-hmm. And uh, and poo and then unlimited and fire spray, <laughs> you know. So there's really infinite number of psychics in the game. Yeah, but there's just one other area where I like to hang out. Um, the end boss of this is what this gave me tons of trouble. Um, the first boss, which is like a fire dog of some kind, I can't remember his exact name, um, is not super tough. But then you fight uh, Diamond Dog, the uh, underrated album from the Ziggy Stardust trilogy and uh he's he's a fucking bitch Diamond Dog is really tough for me <laughs> pun intended huh yeah <laughs> yes indeed okay. well he turned into a bitch after the first album came out and they photoshopped all the genitals no uh, no I meant you're yeah. you're talking about a dog uh no I know but okay. I, I was I was bringing in some deep Bowie trivia okay into that. So, go into yeah. the boneyard for some yeah, there was totally there was totally well it's lack of the boneyard because the uh the first release of Diamond Dogs was very rare um, the David Bowie centaur dog thing has a gigantic dog dick, and then they photoshopped it out, and he does turn into a bitch, which is what I was going for. Okay, um, but the uh, so yeah, this guy was really really tough. Um, did you have a particularly hard time with this guy? Multi bottle rockets, sir. Multi body rockets. Multi bottle yeah. rockets. Fuck. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did not have that foresight. So he's a he's a very tough tough boss if you're not intentionally trying to break the game. The frustrating part is that. His his weaknesses don't change when he when he shifts form, mm-hmm. like 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 the, the the ice spell, which is which is really the only spell you ought to be using, um, yeah, with, with with Paula. Um, the ice spell is 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 no less effective on the uh, on the diamond dog version uh, when you when you would think that it would be the other way around. This is I think one of the only JRPG games that I've played where hitting something with its own element doesn't heal it. Yeah. Yeah, that never happens. The, the reason why this—I mean, he still has that same weakness, but the second one gets real shieldy. 
Yeah. And that becomes this matter of uh, managing shields on your character and him. So yeah. that's the difference between the first form and the second form. So his weakness remains the same, but he also ha- he will reflect that first, you know, ice omega you throw at him, which will hurt you quite a bit. Yeah. Ice omega. And, and it'll be one of those things where you, you can have that action queued up, but when he transforms, like that, like it'll, it'll, it'll still go get him when he has the heal spell. Like it doesn't change. It doesn't reset everything and start a new battle. You can just still have that lingering command out there. So, right. But yeah, once you, once you do this, um, Ness goes into a coma. <laughs> yeah, he goes into a, a cloud. He falls into uh, the life stream. Yeah, um, <laughs> exactly. Um, this is, this is awesome. This yeah. is a really cool area in the game. I would venture to say it's my second favorite area in the game, actually. Yeah. It's, it's really rad. It's, yeah. uh, it's some, some moonside inspired, uh, madness here where you're, you're in this kind of psychic landscape created by your own unconscious. And uh, there are elements of your past here, your family's here, there are other people who talk to you. Um, One of the most, the coolest things about it, and we're talking, again, talking about that color scheme thing, is that everyone you talk to changes the color palette and uh, makes it look like a different time of day or another season. And uh, it just looks, they're really, really bold. Like colors are very bold and looks, looks amazing. You can talk to these sunflowers who, God, I just just love everything about it. (laughs) It's like, it's like some Psychonauts level shit. Sorry, Will. Um, It's some Psychonauts (laughs) level shit that, it just uh, I don't I, I don't know because you, you never get any you never get any insight into like what Ness is like as a person you, mm-hmm. you know but this but this actually gives you know, you're, you're actually inside of his head right um really really cool um you know starts out with this town area eventually you get to the dungeon area and you can recruit these little birdmen <laughs> that represent your bravery um they can die fairly easily and uh, you can go, you can go back and get another one for a limited amount of time. I guess something happens if you use the last one, but I did not do that. I never went back for them. I never ran out. Uh, yeah. Like I never even like had the first Birdman die. So yeah. So so, so you you fight another Manny Manny statue. At this point, you're you're you, you just outpace all of them. Right. I, I, I did not. This was a tough battle for me. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah. I ended up using uh, two bags of Dragonite to uh, to beat him, which was all the Dragonite I had in the game. And uh, I hadn't spent any time leveling up or uh, cheating, as Cole had. And the, <laughs> the uh, um, So this was actually pretty tough for me. But after this, uh, Ness gets this amazing level up. Like, uh, Thief becomes Ninja, and Ness <laughs> gains, like, six levels and gains a bunch of tons of stats. And it's random. Like, like the, at the at the very least, you get teleport beta, but mm-hmm. everything that I read led me to believe that you could actually get more psi powers. Yeah, I, I picked that up as well. Yeah, and and everything else that I read was like, don't get Ness to level ninety nine here. It's like he's level yeah. seventy. Why would I? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like I'm not again. I'm not crazy. Like <laughs> it was written for people who got the Sword of Kings. Oh yeah. Um, the uh, and you, the biggest boost, though, the most useful thing you get here, other than teleport beta, which isn't that useful because you have Pooh again, is a huge uh, amount of PP. So you, you kind of no longer really need to be worrying about Ness running out of PP, which is which is huge. Like um, I had as much PP as I had HP. Yep. Um, and the way that uh, it comes through in the story is really kind of nice because you you listen to all eight melodies, and uh, throughout the game, every time you'd find one of those melodies, you'd see like a vision of yourself as a baby. Or remember something from your childhood, and this is kind of you know the idea you know Mag- Magikent is that it is 
it is uh, unlocking, you know, there's a part where you're, you're fighting the evil within you. Mm-hmm. And that's what this is. You've unlocked uh, your true potential through right. that, which is really kind of a cliche, but is really heartwarming and works. It's just really uh, kind of pitch perfect in this game. The entire last part of this game is about the power of friendship. So we can give it a little bit of a pass for cliche. Yeah. yeah. But it does it. It does it really well. Yeah. Like it's just a really nice, uh, very nice power of friendship. <laughs> it's not it's not cynical like most of the power of friendship stuff that you see. But in... it's not it's not unearned either. Like you you like these characters, you like this world, and the, when you're going to invoke uh, affection as a you know as, as a, a plot signifier, you need to make the player feel it. Which this game spends a lot of time building up that goodwill, and uh, so you actually feel it. Yeah. The end. Um, after this, you uh, you wake up and uh, it's time to head into the true end game. Um, and to do so, you kind of bounce back and forth between Anat and Saturn Valley um, because uh, Doctor Andonuts has invented something called a phase distorter that is yeah. going to help you you know further in your your quest to uh, to take on Gigas here. Yeah, it's been determined that Gigas is attacking you from the past. Um, mm-hmm. So, like, Gigas in the future has taken over the universe, but Gigas is attacking you from the past for some reason. Um, and so you have to find the uh, the secret kind of rock that will be the fuel for the uh, for the phase distorter. Right, which just happens to be the meteorite. In yeah, the, uh, in the beginning of the game, uh, I color out of space that popped down and uh, <laughs> turned all the animals into to monstrous versions of themselves. Mm-hmm. Is also the plot MacGuffin that you need to get to the end. God, I love stuff like that. Eh. It's the, the, that kind of like congruity. I mean, it's the, mm-hmm. it's the the same part of me that loves when the the final dungeon is the first place that you saw in the game. You know? Yeah. Like just yeah. uh, for for some reason that that symmetry really read that 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 appeals to me for some reason. I don't I know if I if I just like lazy design or what, but I didn't realize necessarily that. I mean, I liked that in this in the game, but I wasn't really looking for. I didn't think of the meteorite as a loose end because I had that coincide with the Gigas arriving anyway. You know, since that kind of sets everything off. Even though I don't know if the game directly tells you that, I just kind of assumed the meteor arriving uh, was the re- you know was what what it caused this. And it might have just been because they happened right at the same time. That's the, that, that's true. I, like one of the theories that I read was that the meteor is actually another phase distorter, which is which is how Buzz Buzz traveled to your time. Oh, yeah, that would make sense. Yeah, and um, that and that's why it has the, you know, Zephyrum or whatever. Yeah, that, that's actually totally sound. Yeah, I believe that. To go back and get the meteorite, you go back to the first town, and it's full of uh, starmen and monsters. Yeah, um, again. really, really tough. Like, yeah, the ghost of Starman is is. The, one of the worst enemies. Yeah, he's a real son of a bitch. Like he'll he'll cast like like the the, the star storm. Um, I almost said star scream. That would have been weird. He'll cast yeah, like no. <laughs> star storm beta like on the first turn, which will take Pooh out. Like Pooh's yeah. Pooh, Pooh's gone for this for this level. They would take out Pooh and one of my other characters generally because they were not very leveled up. So this was the part of the game where mechanically I got very frustrated. Where random battles, not boss battles, but random battles it was a crapshoot whether I'd be able to beat them. Right. So I was, you know, save scumming like crazy. Like I would get into a battle. Um, you know, if it was one of the, if it was a ghost of a star man, I would try to run. And if I couldn't run, you know, I'd try to play it out, but I'd usually end up losing two characters. And it was such a pain in the ass to get to a hospital. Um, and if I didn't have enough, you know, life horns or anything. So I would just kind of was, was save scumming like crazy and yep. just making it through this part in tiny degrees, mm-hmm. uh, which is pretty frustrating because, you know, story wise and everything, I think it's firing all cylinders. You know, I'm a little bit disappointed by like how minor of a role the Starmen play in this. Like they're just the foot soldiers for Gigas, given that they're kind of the anti mascot for the game. You know, along with Mister Saturn or whatever. I expected it to be a little bit more like plot significant. I don't know why that disappoints me. It's just weird. 
how they serve no purpose. Like they, they, they don't have any plot significance other, other than like here, fight these hard things. Yeah, I, I agree. And they're, they're visually striking. Like they look neat oh, yeah. and the, uh, you know, it would have been nice to have them play a little bit of a bit bigger role. Yeah. So I would agree. Um, when you get the, uh, the piece of the meteor, they can complete work on the phase disorder, but for some reason or another, they can't send your bodies back in time. They have to put your brain into a robot. Yeah. Um, and I don't know how you felt about this. Like this was something that I see lauded in the game a lot. Like people really like this. I don't know necessarily feel that it was necessary putting you into the clank clank your dead robot. Mm-hmm. It has this tension where they say, um, you know, you may not be able to come back from this, et cetera, et cetera. But I just kind of thought that at this point we're riding this, you know, kind of we're getting approaching this kind of emotional event horizon in the game and putting me into into robots and changing the way my characters look and stuff doesn't serve too much doesn't serve that very much. Did you I, have a different take on it or um I could have taken it or left it, honestly. Um I thought it was like a, you know, just contributing to the overall quirk of it. I mean I didn't I didn't dislike it. I think I kind of did dislike it. It wasn't like a, a deal breaker or anything by any means. But it's it's okay because you are now heading into the cave of the past. Which is a, a short regular dungeon area um with that yeah that Beatles music. Again, and then you end up in essentially the last level of Contra or uh, Life Force um, or any, you know, uh, Konami game that involves you uh, traversing through essentially intestines. Yep. (laughs) And this is where shit gets really, really fucked um, Mm -hmm. to be as crass about it as possible. (laughs) Yeah, I I absolutely I I love this. It's so great. I I, like is what put this over the edge. For me and, and made this you know just like such an amazing game is this this ending bit where you you after struggling through a bunch of those bullshit random encounters you eventually end up um you know facing facing gigas um which is a, kind of like a, a womb with ness's face yeah on it like um, and it's not just ness's face like there's this eye that opens up and ness's face kind of like pushes out of it yeah yeah and he, you've got uh Pokey there, who has built himself like a, a mechanical spider chases to, to fight you in, which is really crazy. But Pokey has lost it. Oh yeah, he's gone full blue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's yeah, yeah. He's he's blue, blue, blue. Um, he is you know is just is talking about like joking about how he's terrified. Yeah. You know, and how um you know it'd be a fun thing for everyone to just run. Like a, a trope that I love is when someone is a villain and bites off more than they can chew. Mm-hmm. And then has to pretend like they're not scared of what they've done. And Gigas, I mean, again, you know, the way that I, I tie HP Lovecraft into every single thing, but I think this is one of the more apt instances, is essentially like Azathoth. Like it's just this idiot nuclear chaos in the center of the universe that just, it's, it's, you know, it's dialogue and everything. Like it's not an intelligence. It's not a, a mastermind no. by anything. It's just this, this dumb force of destruction. And even if he was at one point a mastermind, I mean, he's like he's he's the puppeteer for everything that has been trying to destroy you. He's just gone completely completely nuts. So, right? He's like and the this, crimson and this king. Is in the past, so the idea, yeah, um, the the idea could be like this is him, and he eventually becomes more advanced. But you're just fighting him in this incredibly powerful, raw, like force of nature form. Yeah. And uh, they even, you know, again, like the the Lovecraft comparison is so apt because even his attacks, when you start fighting him, it just the attack is you cannot comprehend mm-hmm. or like you do not understand this. And it's so resonant. Like, it's just this weird like JRPG boss battle, like built for me, you know, <laughs> from the ground up. I, I love it so much. And he um, and he fetishizes you like, right. 
it, like it just he has he has battle dialogue and there's no actual like you don't actually see what he is he's the background right like like yeah. you know when when you're when you're initially when you're initially fighting pokey you know pokey's pokey's there and then you destroy a spider mech and he's gone but like you never like all the Gigas is represented by is like these mutated faces that are swirling and just like madness in the back. Right, right. I mean, just just straight straight up non Euclidean, uh, monstrous alienness. Just the other, you know, yes. facing that down. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Like it just it's you know it loves you, and there, there's something to it where. I'm sure you know every time you do the melody, you are uh, you have memories of your past and when you're a baby. There's interpretation here that I didn't do, you know, as to what the relationship between Gigas and Ness is. Mm-hmm. Like I'm sure there are people who, and I've done a little bit of looking around. I haven't uh, done like a lot of research. A lot of people have written essays about this, and like it's a pretty. I'm sure there's something there, and I'm too stupid to know it, you know, right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Like I just haven't spent enough time thinking about it. But there's. The relationship between the two is is obviously some kind of there's some some kind of deepness there, yeah. and uh, that I don't know. And then and just the fact that I think one of our commenters points out that this whole area looks like a you know a very vaginal, like the oh, area yeah. coming up into it. There's tons of like Freudian uh, yeah. uh, stuff going on here that is just it's very very uh, lots of depth. I just I just read it as you're fated to be nemeses. Like Gigas, he's afraid enough he's he's afraid enough of you to send everything that he has to take you out because he knows that you are ultimately going to take him out. Like nemeses in the Jonathan Colton, John Roderick kind of sense. Right. You know, right. just just where they like like it's like the strange kind of codependency. Right? Right. Right. And I can definitely I could you know, I, I buy that. There's also there's just room for for, for further analysis, I feel yeah. like. Is all I'm, I'm trying to say about that. Yeah, we, we kind of glossed over it real quick, but the music for Pokey is pretty bad. <laughs> it's fucking awesome. It starts off as just like what would be a really good JRPG, you know, boss music in like 16-bit style, and then becomes the best expression of, of heavy metal I've heard on 16-bit, you know, speakers, like through a 16-bit sound palette. And there and there's nothing that heralds it except for like a couple of beats of silence, and then just yeah, just it just gets huge, and I'll definitely it, you know you've heard it or are hearing it now. Yeah. It's definitely gonna cut that in. When you when you defeat it though, I think it's like a braver music choice is when you get to the Gigas parts, where it is literally just like white noise and sound effects. Like the entire part leading up to this, you just hear breathing. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's being really brave with the sound design and just how unpleasant and how uncomfortable that can make you. Yeah. I really wish that I didn't have the winning strategy spoiled for me. Me too. Yeah, it's... me too. And yeah. So, 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 you know, Rosebud is the is the sled. Um Darth Vader is Luke's father, and Bruce Willis you pray. Is a ghost. <laughs> Bruce Willis is a ghost, and you pray to defeat Gigas. Yeah, and the uh, uh, you know, the, and it's amazing how many spoilers I was able to avoid in this game, but not that one. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I think it's in the before I play. It says like, "Don't bother praying until the end" or something like that. So the uh, that's how you defeat Gigas. You can't actually you know do damage to him. 
the uh, and he just keeps sending these incomprehensible attacks at you and all of your characters essentially all you want to do is keep Paula alive yeah so she can keep praying and again like I, I you know I didn't uh, didn't spurge out on this and and, and cry but the uh, as what I was surprised by how emotionally affecting this is to me as somebody who is generally very skeptical about religion mm-hmm. like prayer is not something I believe in the power of right. but you're really not praying you're just reaching out to those like human connections right you know it's a game about friendship and when you pray you're reaching out to the people you've met along your journey and it's and it's not like oh gosh they're asking for help it's just them thinking like oh gosh i hope they're okay right there's a lot of, <laughs> again so many parallels between uh final fantasy 4 yeah and this and that is not dissimilar to that the if, you, of, if you weren't gonna say it i was going to so yeah and so it's some you know, you're praying and you're doing damage and you think okay this is going good and gigas keeps taking on increasingly bizarre forms and the music keeps getting louder and more dissonant mm-hmm. and then eventually your prayers start saying your prayers you know reach out into the darkness and reach no one and it's just like <laughs> oh shit you know like what a dark like bleak dark message like you, you like the the darkness absorbs your prayer or something like yeah that. That's what holy like, crap oh god like there's there's just no hope you know? like you are <laughs> and then you just have to persevere like in in the face of that and that's what what beats the game for you is is doing that enough time i think it's nine is the number of times you have to pray yeah. and you stop reaching people at five right so there, there's three or four prayers that are just seemingly doing you know not reaching people yeah and it's oh god and and, and they extend beyond kojima levels of breaking the fourth wall yeah here, be- yeah here we go because again <laughs> notice how we just keep like saying oh and then because it is every time every layer of this boss fight is amazing so you talk talk us about this this third fourth wall breaking here. Oh yeah. So. Um. So after after enough times, like you know, praying, reaching out to the to the darkness, Paula finally, you know, in my case, decides to pray to Cole. You know, mm-hmm. me, the person holding the controller. Uh, in your case, probably to Gary, unless you chose to. It was Cole as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, was, it was Gary. Yeah. It's interesting because it asks your name. It's you know at the beginning of the game, and then part way through, someone asks you to confirm it, and it's almost like they're telegraphing this, mm-hmm. or they really want this to have the impact. So they're like, "Is your name Gary? Are you sure that's your name?" <laughs> like as you as you're playing, because they know that they're going to use this later. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's unfortunate. Yeah. But 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 yeah, this whole like seeing your name and that. Again, another another screenshot that I took. You know, of my name at the center of the screen. Like Cole, help us. Cole, help us. Like, yeah, yeah, I'll help you. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah. you know, it's, it's you who actually delivers the final blow. Your well wishes for the party. Your well wishes for, you know, just kind of like, I want to see this through and for the world not to, you know, go to shit. Yeah. So, yeah, um, Gigas is gone and the, the, the robots are destroyed in the, in, in the ensuing explosion. Um, Pokey gets away. Um, mm-hmm. And you're in a real, like, Dick Dastardly kind of like, no, I'll get you next time. Yep. <laughs> a little sequel baiting. Yeah, it was a little bit silly, but I understand it's a, a franchise. Yeah, when they when they didn't know that the sequel was going to be twelve years away. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, but your spirits, you know, it's kind of like, oh gosh, what's going to happen? They 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 go back to uh, to the cave of the past, where everybody you know is at, and they re-inhabit your bodies, and you're given free reign to go about the world and talk to everybody whose lives you touched. Yeah, I mean, ordinarily, so I, I have a bottomless appetite for darkness. And <laughs> in general, I want, you know, my video games to be as dark as wet black velvet. <laughs> and the, uh, but this is a case where I was so, you know, them teasing that, you know, they might be, I thought they were just going to make a heroic sacrifice and, you know, be trapped in these mechanical bodies in the past or whatever. Um, but I was so happy that wasn't the case in this game. 
Like that, you know, the game is so much about goodwill and I felt so much like, you know, the game really gets you to feel for these characters and want them to succeed. And I was so happy that, you know, they made it back. Like the ending of this is, is pitch perfect. Right. You know, pitch, absolutely pitch perfect, perfect from the beginning of the, the boss fight to, to this end part. Mm-hmm. Kind of post game part, which is more common now, um, but is very uncommon then where you can literally walk around the entire world talking to anyone. And almost everyone has new dialogue. Right. Like referring to the fact that you saved the world and somehow they know that it was you who saved the world for some reason. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's just you and Paula, actually. Yep. Because because Pooh goes back to his home planet and <laughs> his uh, home planet needs him. <laughs> exactly. And um and, and Jeff goes to be with his estranged dad. His, and his life partner. Uh, whatever <laughs> oh, that guy's to- Tony, with. Tony. Yeah, yeah with, with his uh, constant companion Tony. <laughs> yeah. Um so it's just a little too close. Um, <laughs> and this is where, and you get the letters yeah. from everybody. Is that here, or is this before you go back into the past? No, it's here. But this is like... where you get the letters, from, yeah, from everyone. Mm-hmm. Again, really touching. Like, um, you know, just man, amazing amount of goodwill and just kind of happy feelings. Yeah. from being this game. Where it, where I lost my goodwill was uh, Cargo Express shuts down. So if I if I wanted to explore everything after I drop Paula off back at the preschool, um, if I wanted to explore everything, I'm just walking around at normal speed, and I can't call yeah. Cargo Express to get my bicycle. The one time when it would have been really useful for me. There's, um, no, there's no reason for like UPS to close down just because it's Gigas. <laughs> Unless UPS is powered by Gigas. Holy Whoa. shit. We just blew this wide open, Gary. <laughs> Gigas is wearing those little brown shorts. <laughs> <laughs> you can't comprehend how short these shorts are. <laughs> and that's Earthbound. Yeah, that's Earthbound. Um, you know, we, we both loved it. Yeah. Um, let's, I, mean, I think we spent a lot of time talking about the goodness of it. Um, let's pick apart the things we didn't love for a little bit. Because there's a little bit of that that I still want to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, in the last episode, I was talking about how I was hovering around this idea of, you know, and, and I was focusing on the numbers being too big, like characters do too much damage and you do too much damage. And I was trying to figure out what that was. And in the second half of the game, what it is is that, like, the the game is poorly designed. And I don't think there's a way to get around that. Like, the numbers involved in the game are not well balanced. And as a, if you had taken this and you put a different skin on it and changed the writing... Like, if this was Final Fantasy, you know, like a lost Final Fantasy game and had all the same stuff, it wouldn't be a very good game. It would have some, like, neat innovations with, like, the rolling battle meter and uh, being able to instantly win battles that you're too powerful for. But would no one would care about it and no one would remember. So it's, like, it's it's not a good game as far as the gameplay goes for 80% of it. But the everything else about it, especially this, this you know, this ending, just makes up for so much of that. That it is one of my favorite, you know, JRPGs. And uh, it's just a huge, huge testament to how powerful that stuff is, that it can overcome just how bullshitty, like, the actual fighting was, how many times I had to literally save state between random encounters, which I've never had to do that in a JRPG. You know, the hardest, like, difficult end dungeons in JRPGs, like, I can always just kind of level up and be fine. You know, there aren't guys that can just keep one-hitting me. How much of that do you think is, you know, due to the fact that the, the auteur behind this game and the series is a writer and not somebody who you know, necessarily works entirely in the medium of video games. Uh, probably a lot of it. 
And how how much of this do you th- do you think like you know the, this kind of justification that goes on in the community has to do with the fact that oh it does have Dungeon Man and it does like have these little sections where it's obviously deconstructing everything and just people think like oh it has that one thing so everything must be about that yeah probably probably a lot I, I think mean, that's probably what a lot of what people are thinking the the, 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 the the flip side of that and this is true about every every video game and pretty much every every you know artistic work as well, which is, which, which is that, you know, goodwill is built up and you're willing to look past these obvious kind of, you know, shortcomings to kind of say, Oh no, you know, it's, it's just a little airborne. It's still good. It's still good. Mm-hmm. You know? Right. Right. And, and more earthbound is more than a little airborne. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, but it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. I still love it. You know, and that's, yeah. that's a huge compliment. To, to pay it. So. <laughs> don't, don't say that to like a woman. I love you despite your flaws. Hey, baby, you're just a little airborne. <laughs> you're still good. Just a little slimy. You're still good. You're still good. Um, <laughs> just a little slimy, baby. Um, <laughs> yeah. There are a lot of things I, I'll say about Earthbound that I won't say about a woman. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, it's just. Way it's, it's one of those things. I forget if I said it about this game or, 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 or something like that. You know, it's the, it's the grandpa's racist theory. Of yeah. like, you know, just because it's a product of its time and of its place, you're willing to let some egregious shit fly by. Like, yes, I, you know, I was safe stating between a bunch of battles and yes, I did do some exploits, but it just be, be because, you know, grandpa grew up in a different time and place. He's going to be a little bit racist. And because this was made in 1994, it's going to have this stuff that just kind of like it's, it's there and it's, you know, you know, t- t- you know, tiger gonna hunt, fish gonna swim, birds gonna fly, man gonna sit and wonder why, why, why. You know, it's I, a little, I, it's a little bit cynical, but just kind of like, I, I, maybe it's intellectually lazy of me, but it feels like almost fruitless to criticize it for that. I see. I, I disagree though, because I, I came in prepared for that. Like, whenever I sit down to play a JRPG, even a modern JRPG, I'm ready for for the things that I consider to be the trappings of the genre. But the just the the number, like, I mean, literally just numbers being too high or being too low. You know, it's, it's down to that granular level that's broken. And that, that's a tried and true thing since, you know, 1986, <laughs> you know, like Final Fantasy one is better balanced than this as far as that stuff goes. Right. And that's crazy because Final Fantasy one is like way too hard, but at least it makes sense. Like at least like it's, it's a line, everything, you know, you can grind enough and just be like, okay, guys can't one hit me. I know I'm going to get these stats. I know, you know, at least that's more consistently and consistent in the play. Would it have been better if Ness wasn't your only consistently useful party member? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I agree with that. Even though I think thematically, I think that Ness being the only child makes a lot of sense. Now, you know what we think of Earthbound because you just listened to five hours of it, um, but we <laughs> want to continue to hear what you think. Um, and holy cow, we had a lot of response. Yeah, which, um, which is wonderful. Like That so, makes us so happy. Like We're going to have to edit some of these down. We haven't been able to use every single nugget that people have, have brought to us, but I'm um, crazy happy with the response to this. Um, I'll, I'll lead up with kind of like a couple ways that you can get a hold of us um, about this. You can go to duckbeat.tv uh, slash watch out for fireballs. And there's a little module on the right side of the screen where you can type in your uh, your thoughts. You can also use the duckbeat.tv slash contact or email us at watch out for fireballs at duckbeat.tv. Or you can uh, call our voicemail, which is 419-834-WOFF. 
or you can do uh, what our first responder did, which was record a uh, an audio file of him talking about uh, Earthbound, and uh, he kicked it over our way. So why don't we listen to what Tyler Crumrine has to say? Hey guys, Tyler here. First off, I wanted to say thank you for doing the game justice. I think a lot of your praise, as well as your criticism, has been really spot on. I mean, the game's become a bit of a sacred cow, especially with the starmen.net community and all of that, but a lot of the things that, you know, are wrong with the game and they get overlooked a lot for um, nostalgia's sake and things like that, uh, that you brought up were really spot on, and I found myself looking back at my own experience and kind of realizing that, you know, yeah, there were parts that could have been a bit more straightforward or didn't really sync up with the rest of the game, but it was fun being reminded of uh, kind of those moments of frustration that I remembered from playing through it as a lad, as well as the really cool parts. But I feel like I like Earthbound for the same reason that I like a movie that is done by a really great playwright or a author who goes on to do a really neat and interesting graphic novel or a musician who goes on to I don't make a children's book or artists who break out of their medium into something else and create something that still is artistic and well-formed and well-thought, but also kind of buck some of the trends that uh, have kind of existed before. And I feel like Itoi, who's, you know, an essayist, and even with the music, uh, Keichi Suzuki was in the Moonriders, a uh, progressive experimental rock band before he did Mother One. But they're two guys who, you know, have a little bit of experience because of Mother One with, you know, working on games. And so they're ready to approach some of the tropes in a way that's different from just like, hey, let's make a dragon warrior and do some do some really cool things. But at the same time, aren't kind of tied up in expectations or exactly what a game should look or feel or sound like or they aren't even tied up in what america is actually like and they're just having a lot of fun and trying to make something that has a vision and a voice of its own and i i really appreciate that and i think unfortunately that's a bit of why the game never really caught on either i mean it's like those artist side projects that's cool and have a call following but at the same time, aren't really kind of part of the canon because they don't really look like anything else, and it's just weird to try and put them in there. And Earthbound is so different from other RPGs that a lot of people just didn't know what to do with it. And I don't think having a giant player's guide or scratch-and-sniff stickers that smelt like vomit uh, really helped with that. And the last thing that made this game really unique for me was just the memory of getting a hold of it because I even came back to the game we had rented it as kids and I wasn't old enough to really be able to get very far and my older brother lost interest because it was a bit too hard for him too and we returned it but when Super Smash Bros came out I saw Ness and I was like Ness I know Ness he's from that Earthbound game I really wanted to be able to play and be that that looked really cool I should try and find it so my first uh, internet shopping venture as a kid was me and my parents tracking down a used game store that had a copy and then mail ordering it. And 
just the fact that you know like if you found a copy of earthbound it was kind of a little a little gem and there are all these people who loved the game and couldn't stop talking about it that there was a lot of motivation to play it and because not a lot of other people had played it it kind of had that cool indie cred bit to it as lame as that sounds and so kind of the cool thing for a while was to be like oh yeah earthbound is my favorite game it's so underrated but even now when i realized that you know it's it's not a perfect game it was still a really fun one and it's one that was fun in the right places and difficult in mostly the right places and also just really really funny like how many other games have the sanchez brothers named poncho pincho and thomas jefferson like it was a really funny game and i loved it and i'm really glad that you guys sound like you loved a lot about it too so thank you so much for giving it your time and I'll make sure that I watch out for fireballs. Thank you, uh, Tyler. Uh, Tyler Crumrine being one of my favorite names, and in addition to being a lovely person and uh, hosting a, a very good podcast himself uh, called Ninjas vs. Podcast, I recommend you check out. Yeah. Um, this is such a such a good name, um, Crumrine. Yeah, I love it. Um, yeah, so uh, I, I I like that. Thank you for taking the time to record an audio response um, and for the the kind words about how we've approached the game. Um, I think that you are right on point about uh, both about the game kind of a, a establishing this deification um, that some people you know make it think it makes it immune to criticism. And I really like uh, the story of you getting getting a hold of the game. Yeah, it is the whole the whole exploration of like like what is. You know, like what happens when somebody works outside of their medium? We kind of touched on that just a little bit in our general uh, criticisms about the game, but uh, there's always some kind of like magic when somebody crosses disciplines. It can't um, always be poetic justice, and sometimes you get a poetic justice out of that, but not always. Right. Cole is being quiet because he forgot that that's a Janet Jackson movie where she acts. I think it was her first breakout acting movie. It's really okay. terrible. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. so it's it's okay for you to miss my reference. That's fine. But that's they, fine. Yeah. Pretty, pretty obscure. It might be the first Poetic Justice what, reference. What, 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 ever. Yeah, ever. <laughs> what about Mariah Carey and Glitter? Yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or Jennifer Lopez and Giggly. It can't always Choose be. Choose itself first, though. Shit. Giggly's. Giggly's. <laughs> it can't yeah. always be the Giggly's. Um, <laughs> or yeah, any, and, any and, movie that Neil Young has ever made, which yes. are unilaterally terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Tyler. Um, and continuing with the awesome names that our fans have. I mean, holy absolutely. shit. <laughs> Let's jump over to Murph Murphy. Uh. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> um, let's jump. Yeah, I'll read, go ahead and read uh, Murph Murphy. And okay. He uh, commented via Facebook. He says, I could gush, but I'm going to start with what I dislike, which is the inventory management. Yeah. <laughs> I can understand the need for the balance of not having too many healing items or attack items, but I never seem to have enough slots, especially with all the quest items. Then having to give items living giving items to the living characters so they can be used when they were in the inventory of dead characters. I do want to touch on the fact that there's not a lot of feedback for finding the Your Sanctuary locations. I missed the one in Tucson, Foreside, and Dalam, and had to go back after Firespring and fight bosses that were completely below my level at that point. It felt like I had somehow just skipped part of the game, which was very weird. The ending sequence, where you can walk around the world, see what changes you've made, see your old friends, was fantastic. I don't know of many games even now that have that much of a satisfying feel to the ending. Go ride bikes in the swamp. Go talk to all the people you helped to get you there. Or the people yeah, who helped you get you there. 
Um, it's a really neat thing that seems really simple, but no one does this. The most cogent point in there is actually about the lack of feedback for the, your, your sanctuary. We said it a lot in the previous episode, but just how like tangential that seems to what the main thrust of the game is about. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I missed uh, Tucson as well. Um, the same, same way Murph, Murph Murphy did. Um, what would have, what would have been more frustrating? It, it, it not telling you that you missed a, your sanctuary location or if it arbitrarily gated you. I would have been less uh, frustrating to be arbitrarily gated. I mean, like in, in games, you know, when you're hunting down the eight whatevers or the quest whatevers, um, you know, you re- usually consider that to be the point and you expect them to coincide with the bosses you're fighting. Mm-hmm. You know, so the uh, I don't think that would have felt like a gate thing if they would have just placed them quicker. Like, uh, you know, in Tucson, where you fight the mm-hmm. um, you fight the blue blue cult, just have him, you know, he's dying. Mention the, the sanctuary location that has corrupted him nearby. Um, you head there, and then after you do it, have it teleport you back to Tucson. Done and done. Or have like a secret passage open under his under his throne that just walks you there. The, the I don't way think that would have hurt the game. The, 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 this is something, and what you just said actually confirmed it. Do you think that the your sanctuary locations are some kind of evil alien presence? Because you referred to them as the color out of space. Oh, they they one hundred. I'm pretty sure that they are. Like because they, they're um, the when we were talking about them all being uh, in in remote areas, and they're all coinciding with uh, these remote areas that are full of. Um, you know, when you fight human enemies and they've gone crazy, a lot of times it's like a corrupt presence in the town. Like it's mm-hmm. one, it's like Pokey is there or it is, uh, you know, one of the, the Mani Mani statues. When you're fighting them in the wilderness, a lot of times, not always, but a lot of times it's nearby a, uh, a sanctuary presence. So that was what I felt like what you were doing was kind of cleansing them. I don't know, you know, how much backup there is for that, but that's definitely how, what the impression I got. The impression that I got was that these were like places that were on like these ley lines and Gigas had, you know, co-opted these, you know, strong creatures from nearby to guard them from you. Mm. Or to, yeah. At the very least, uh, Gigas is a color out of space character. Like there's a buzz buzz even straight up tells you that he's the one who's making the animals go crazy mm-hmm. and making, you know, plants attack you and stuff. Right. And street they, signs and taxis and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Like a gravis is, you know, just running, running little kids down. New age. Hippies. <laughs> new Age Retro Hippies? Yeah, yeah New Age Retro Hippies attacking you. <laughs> that's my favorite ska band. Um, <laughs> let's, let's continue. Uh, also from Facebook is Jason Mahoney, a good friend of mine. He says, well, you, you already know my views on this game. I think it's one of the best games ever. I don't throw that term around very often. The way that the music makes you feel, the original setting for a JRPG, the memorable characters, and the overall presentation that just makes you feel good inside by being so bright. It's because of this game and Chrono Trigger that I have a deep passion for RPGs. The fact that the sequel never made it here is an absolute crime against America. All in all, this game is worth every penny of the buck seventy that I spent on it. Yep, and by buck seventy, you mean $170. So That's the, uh... I, so, so, sorry, I, I, no, it's okay. It's okay. I thought you were yeah, that's, yeah, 170. Yeah. So it would definitely be worth 170 pennies, but <laughs> he is saying it is worth a hundred times that. Oh. Um, so yeah, I, I agree. What's interesting. I hear this game thrown around with Chrono Trigger a lot. I like this game a lot more than I like Chrono Trigger. Um, Chrono Trigger doesn't work on me the same way it works on most humans. And I don't know what that, <laughs> what that is. Like, I like that game, but it's not, and it, maybe because I came to it late. I don't know. It, and it's because it's got the Dragon Ball Z character designs I don't like. Um, but the, you know, this game I like a lot more, and I feel like it's a lot more original than Chrono Trigger. Chrono Trigger, I think, is a better game. This is a better experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I guess I mean, as far as a, yeah, noteworthiness. You're right. I think that Chrono Trigger is probably mechanically a lot more sound. Yeah. Yeah, thank you, Jason. Thank you. 
Um, Samuel Bayer uh, via Facebook, he says, I love Earthbound, but I definitely agree that there are points where there are too many dungeons and they aren't really laid out well. Not quite Fantasy Star 3 bad, but pretty close. Mother 3 is a massive improvement in this area. Um, again, that's a recommendation for Mother 3. Um, name checks Fantasy Star 3, which is the worst Fantasy Star. And uh, I've, I've said before, you know, I would never do Fantasy Star 2 for this podcast, even though I like it, uh, because there are, you know, dungeon mazes with teleport traps in dungeons, which is just the worst combination of words <laughs> when it comes to RPGs. Um, Fantasy Star 3 is like all of the bad of Fantasy Star 2 with none of the good. Literally. Like Fantasy Star 3 is really bad. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, uh, we're going to move on from Facebook uh, to Final Massa on uh, the Something Awful thread. That is the gaming podcast mega thread in the games subforum of SA. I'm a huge bastion of support for us, so thank you so much for listening and for tolerating us hijacking that thread. Um, <laughs> Final Massa says, I'm surprised you guys seem to think Earthbound is full of grinding. Usually I grind up to level six in order to beat Frank, but if you consider the arcade section to be a dungeon and just beat everyone up, you should be able to achieve it easily enough. Death also isn't a very big deal unless you care about unique items you wasted uh, as you keep all the experience and money you got. Not true. Um, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Categorically false, sir. Um, sorry, I'll, I'll continue. Sorry. Um, since I didn't hear you mention them yet, the Tucson section is much easier if you buy a few teddy bears. Uh, they work as a dummy party member, uh, so you can't ride a bike while carrying any. Uh, that have a few hundred hit points, uh, and they can't be affected with status effects. Uh, this makes them much more tolerable until you start expanding your party. Rolling HP will take care of the second part of the game for you. The only thing I can see that would really fuck you up is not exploring enough for items, as Jeff really relies on them. Pooh does a bit, but fuck him anyway. Mm-hmm. Agreed, sir. Agreed well, shot mostly first. Agreed. Uh, the, uh, um, <laughs> the, uh, you do lose half your money that you have with you which yes. is kind of the point of the ATM system. Um, and I responded to this actually in SA. What's interesting when we do these two-part games is we get user comments that are actually based on people listening to the first episode. Yeah. So that that kind of became makes this kind of Ouroboros-like. <laughs> um, but I, I, I disagree with the not being a big deal when you die because it's such a pain in the ass. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't slap you on the wrist too much as far as uh, character progress. But it is a huge pain in the ass. Like it's a user-unfriendly experience because you have to, you come back with zero PP if you, if you had no PP and everyone in your party is still dead and you've used up all those items. So it involves, you know, a lengthy shopping trip around town. And if you're finding a dungeon where you can die multiple times, this becomes really tedious. Um, so it's not, you know, it's not like the game is full of grinding either. Like I think later when you get to the parts where you can grind, like I end up skipping that and still got through it through, uh, rolling HP and running mm-hmm. a lot. But uh, mostly the problem I have with it is that, you know, boredom as a consequence yeah. thing that, you know, as we talked about in Sword of Mana, should never be, right. never use that. Yeah. The, the the rolling HP thing, though, made me realize that Guts is a really important stat. Yeah. Yeah. Even though it only, I think I can only two times where I got stopped at one HP. Like I actually saved myself through guts. It actually affects, like it affects the rate at which it goes down. So, oh, so, okay. five, so five hundred damage for 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 Ness is going to be way different than five hundred damage to, to 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 Paula. I didn't realize it affected the rate. I just thought it was the chance that you stop at one. Right. So, so it's it's a it's a matter it's a matter of like you know those big numbers are actually a benefit to you. It gives right. you more time to actually react to what happens. 
Yeah. Um, so we'll probably tag team. Uh, Sazone has written a large, thoughtful chunk of text. As which always. Does, which we like. As you do. Um, I'm going to tag uh, Cole in partway through. Okay. Um, this was specifically, we had, I had solicited comments on the end of the game. Because before this, everyone was being a sweetheart and avoiding spoilers since yes. we both had not played the game. And once uh, that floodgate opened, everyone came up with their feelings on the ending of the game. And Sazone says, <clears throat> Ah, the ends of Earthbound. The mixed feelings continue. While the charm of the first half of the game is sort of lost, there are some other moments of sheer coolness. As mentioned many times, the Pooh Zen training sequence is pure awesomeness. No sound, you say? You don't need ears to hear my psychic utterings, nor eyes to see the subtitles. And the Hollow Earth bit, which is both great, a great gimmick to demonstrate scale, and sort of a backhand nod at the RPG trope of having an overworld map. I didn't think about that, but that's interesting. Um, fucking Gigas, though. I have no problem with puzzle bosses. I'm on record as having Sonic CD be my second or third year of second or third year of the Hedgehog Sonic game of the boy diagram that sentence. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit! Wow, I should have edited okay. that. <laughs> yeah, I'm just gonna I, yeah, I'm gonna see if I can suss out what Sizzle means and then, <laughs> and then just say it. And be my second or third year of the Hedgehog Sonic. Game of the Year of the Hedgehog. <laughs> Fantastic. I've got a whiteboard um, second, right here. Second or third favorite <laughs> Sonic Game of the Year of the Hedgehog. What? Uh, second or third favorite Sonic game? Is that what he's trying to say? I think that he's referring to the Chinese Zodiac. Sazone, <laughs> <laughs> what are you thinking? Yeah, Sazone, this, like, this should be written on the wall of a cell, Sazone. Like, why isn't this in cryptographs of blood, like orderly blood? <laughs> <laughs> he likes Sonic CD, which has okay. puzzle bosses. Um, I'm going to say second or third favorite game. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm on record as having Sonic CD be my second or third favorite Sonic game. Uh, but the telegraphing, I mean, with King Puke, everyone is saying fly, honey. And you're like, I get it. With Gigas, though, you have to use this technique, which is totally fucking useless in the game, which you may have tried once and then never thought to use again. And you have to use it nine consecutive times. That's almost NES levels of opaquity, but is sort of telegraphed in a way. After a few minutes, you'll re- realize that you're not damaging the boss. Ness is also practically invincible, so you won't have you won't lose the fight. There comes a time when there's nothing left but trial and error, so you might as well pray. I figured this out on my own, without a fact, on my first playthrough, and I'm not as smart as I once was. So despite how fucking obtuse that puzzle is, it also it's also sort of really obvious in a way. There's sort of the triumph of, there's also the triumph of Earthbound. Uh, it's taking this sort of bullshit we saw a lot during the 8-bit era and polishing it or simplifying it just enough so that the beauty of it is obvious. A tag you in there, Cole? To draw Metroid simile again, prior to the Metro, prior to Metroid, there was a design theory of shit will be hidden randomly in adventure games. Once you sort of get how the game is put together, all that random bombing and shooting isn't really that random. Uh, there comes a point when things just sort of click and you know that that corridor you just entered can't be a dead end. Compared to something like the Tower of Juraga or even Zelda to a degree, the air of mystery is maintained while allowing a sensible mode of exploration. The same goes for Earthbound. The dungeons aren't overwhelming. They're not a fantasy star level of requiring a fucking map, but they're also not a fantasy star three level of each path will fork exactly once. Each branch will be a dead end, and maybe a treasure will be at the end of the other branch. Uh, will progress you further through the dungeon. 
Mostly the later dungeons are a Goldilocks medium between the two, something rarely seen. Likewise, while your means of progress to the next area might be blocked off and require some futzing about, just playing for an hour and figuring out sh and figuring shit out should get you there. A fact, despite how cool the guidebook is, is never actually necessary. Mm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it has the hand-holding of modern games, but it doesn't. But it does so in such a subtle way that it manages to maintain the mystery and wonder of early games. Then he goes on, uh, he edited his post to add, actually, one other thing bugs me. Even your damn tea is telling you that Gigas fears your power, yet even popcorn enemies are still capable of wiping out your party if you fuck up in battle. I also really wish that you could have been able to pick up Pokey's turds and, and Scaraba then, uh, with the right timing, throw them into his mouth during the last fight. Oh, well, at least you didn't have to beat any of the bosses by playing rock, paper, scissors against them. Oh, uh, we forgot to mention mm -hmm. that. Like, for that last act of the game, you're finding clues that Pokey's been there the whole time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, um, from, from, you're essentially on his trail. Yeah, from him leaving massive dumps in Scaraba to finding his, uh, his, his, his wrecked helicopter. <laughs> Yeah, what an awful human being he is. <laughs> so bad. <laughs> yeah. So th thank you, Sazone, uh, yeah. uh, for, for another long, well-thought-out uh, examination, which I really mm -hmm. appreciate. Um, I don't know if I'm quite with you on the game, getting that balance between holding your hand and, uh, you know, being too obtuse. Yeah. It's not as obtuse as, say, like Tower of Draga. Like, you're right there. And I'm not saying it necessarily, you know, I, I wanted, uh, you know, this and... In the, in the middle of the game or anything like that. But I don't think it achieves that balance quite as well as I think you think it does. Right. This is like the opposite end of the argument that, oh, well, it came with a guide, so you should use a guide. Like, right. Yeah. I, you know, I, I hate to use a South Park fallacy, but the truth is somewhere in the middle. Right, right, right. Um, and, you know, fact is not a four-letter word. Um, and, and some of that's in, informed by how we're playing it. Like, if I was young and I was just whiling away a summer with this, I would have, I'd probably be more on your page. Um, but playing it as, you know, with adult demands on my life and on a deadline for the show um, kind of changes the way that I approach games. I recognize that right. as, a, as, a, as a bias. The uh, And it's interesting, too, because you did not have the uh, the prey thing spoiled for you. And uh, the, the kind of the step-by-step the -step of how you came to that is really interesting. And I think that probably is what the game intended, is that it forces you into a trial and error um, part. I feel like there's one other hint about praying before that part. Pokey says... Um, yeah, something like, oh, I know you're a psychic, so don't call out for help or anything, ha ha ha, and then goes away. Yeah, like something about calling out for help. But pray is not the word for that, necessarily. No. So but, you'd still have to make that connection. And I, and I thought about it, like, in context, there's the idea that, like, the, 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 the thing that assembles your party, the impetus for that, is the fact that Paula is calling out to everybody. So you, you like, you would think, like, okay, who's the strongest psychic? Who's the person who's been calling out? Oh, it's Paula! Well, right. what does she have that like that I could use? Well, it's none of her psi powers. What's this prey thing? And then like right. once you saw that that you know showed the Runaway Five, you know it, it cut to them. And it's like okay, let's you know like oh I hope they're okay. Well, maybe maybe I should try this again for a couple times. Maybe right. that wouldn't. Maybe that reasoning would not have gotten you through to like when your prayers are being absorbed by the darkness and nothing was worth it. You know, so you right. just might as well just cry and listen to the cure. Um, <laughs> cool. All right. Well, do you want to do uh, some deliberation training? Yeah, let's do some deliberation training, although we're going to have to erect a, uh, a specific device, the Phase Disorder 4, which will take us back in time to the deliberation era.
okay, we defeated the unnameable horror at the end of the, you know, deliberation intestinal womb vagina. I feel happy. Yeah, some people are uncomfortable with the word vagina, but we are happy. Gary, 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 I feel happy. Um, I feel happy battling inside a vagina. Much like Planned Parenthood, I spend most of my time battling inside a vagina. (laughs) (laughs) Much like the protagonists of Earthbound and Planned Parenthood. (laughs) (laughs) So, so we have we have we have come through with the one truth, which is that friendship is the ultimate power in the universe, and also that Tyler Crumrine uh, provided the best response this time we really enjoyed uh the personal story about uh you know seeking out the game and thinking that you were awesome for having that be your favorite uh in the entire world because who among us as media nerds hasn't thought man i love this thing that nobody else knows about so i'm great so tyler um we would love to give you a copy of what we're doing next but you already have a copy of it because you have one year worth of watch out for fireballs uh presumably on your hard drive or ipod or uh, on some kind of hard drive you ship to Mars to show future generations. Um, in your which, mind. In your mind. Um, we're doing our anniversary episode next. And uh, though there's no specific game for that that we're playing, there are several games that are going to be part of it um, that we want to talk about a little bit just in case you do want to play along um, with any of those and let you know a little bit of what you can expect. Um, one of the things we're doing is we're going to we're doing a, a shitty game challenge um, we are challenging one another to play a shitty NES game um, for as long as we can stand it. You don't have to beat it. <laughs> but uh, Cole has challenged me to play the NES game Time Lord. Um, so I'm going to play Time Lord as long as I can. <laughs> and I forget what you challenged me to play. So. Uh, Bad Street Brawler. Oh, yeah. Cole will be playing Bad Street Brawler. Um, <laughs> which mostly I chose that because it's a terrible game and I have a story to tell about it. Um, so if you have any experience with that. Um, we're going to talk about... Uh, Retro, like our, our, the alternate spelling for retro, um, mm-hmm. games that, uh, you know, make a point of aping old game styles and mechanics without actually being made in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, I am bringing to that uh, Retro Game Challenge for the Nintendo DS. I'm going to play that again and talk about that. And Cole? I have actually ordered a copy of Retro Game Challenge, and it is on my way uh, via via the rainforest. Um, I, I still haven't decided what I'm going to like, you know, bring to that particular discussion, but it's so like retro is so chic now that like there, there, there are just multiple games that we could even just, you know, begin to broach. I'm almost tempted to like, have you like play, uh, like sword and sorcery or something like that, mm. which is, which is definitively like, Hey, let's make an adventure game that is, you know, eight bit style, but has crazy writing and shit. Yeah, I have uh, I have that, and I've played the first. I've played about forty five minutes of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't beat it, but I like Sword and Sorcery. It looks more than Apex style. It looks like King's Quest. Yeah, like, it looks like old PC style more than anything. Mm-hmm. Which is even um, older than Apex, so why not? Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I think finally um, we are going to talk about uh, ephemeral gaming experiences. Yeah. So I'm going to talk about a grab bag of uh, a certain time in my life where I got into PC gaming, um, which will be several different games. But Cole is going to talk about uh, EverQuest, so I'm going to download EverQuest One and play that for as long as I can stand, <laughs> so I can so I can uh, get some some. So in a way, Cole is getting the game challenge on me twice. <laughs> so <laughs> um, that, that that doesn't have to be the case. I just uh, we're just going to talk about things that you know we 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 played it at a particular time in a particular place, and uh, that it really isn't available to us anymore. So yeah. yeah. So absolutely. Um, so those are that's what we're gonna do. We're still open to suggestions. If you have any grab bag comments about the show or about old games or anything like that you'd like to have included, um, please let us know. And uh, if uh, you know 
in either case, um, you know, if you have anything to say about those games as well, let us know. And if you feel like playing Time Lord, uh, have at it, man. <laughs> and if you feel like <laughs> if you play, if you feel like playing Bad Street Ballers, then yeah. Brawlers, not Ballers. Oh God, yeah. I'd love to play Bad Street Ballers. Yeah, um, Bad Street Ballers. I, I am a Bad Street Baller um, when it comes to Street Ball. Um, yeah, you know, chubby white guys. <laughs> Uh, um, but yeah, call our voicemail. We want to pepper some comments in throughout there, and uh, mm-hmm. just uh, it's going to be a celebration. It's going to be our uh, it's going to be our jubilee, as it were. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, after that, we are doing uh, the game that we will award Tyler with if he is interested, which is Tomba for the PlayStation Network. Uh, Nine dollars ninety nine cents. It is a PlayStation One platformer. Um, I have not downloaded it yet, but plan to this week, and mm-hmm. looking forward to playing that. Yeah. It's 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 really good. It's kind of got a similar flavor to uh, to Klonoa, but it's got much more personality, and uh, uh, it's just a better thing all around. Uh, is what I'm experiencing. Excellent. Um, yeah. And uh, after that, we are going to be jumping back to the PC, which we haven't been on the PC in a little bit, um, to play a little bit of Gabriel Knight, which yes. is um, a classic. You mentioned King's Quest, which makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, this is uh, you know a point and click adventure game which uh, is, is a massive blind spot in my adventure game history. So I'm looking yep. forward to it. I've already got it on the PC behind me here. So I'm looking forward mm-hmm. to playing that. So, you know, a, a wonderful Sierra adventure game that was very important to me in my formative uh, PC gaming years. Um, after that, we are playing Metal Gear Solid for the PlayStation 1 or PlayStation Network. It is, uh, you know, everyone should be familiar with that. It's kind of the definitive uh, stealth action game birthed a huge franchise um, one of the uh, all-time best PlayStation 1 games, and uh, I'm really looking forward to doing that. Yeah, me too. I want to go back to it and like look at it with a critical eye. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, even though it's my turn to say it, I think that it would be better for you to introduce this. If you feel that it's time to introduce it, I, I did have to put in 22 beeps over the course of a minute last episode. <laughs> Um. <laughs> that, that is true. <laughs> is the uh, uh, your your sacrifice as well thought of? I will. I I was waffling on saying it since it is like a couple months out, but I do want to say it because it's a long game um, to give people a chance to play through it if they want to. And I heartily recommend you play through my all time favorite game with us, and that is Fallout. So yes. uh, Fallout One for the PC, widely available everywhere, super easy to get, has birthed you know an amazing franchise. I was trying to think of with some friends. Um, franchises that have, uh, you know, that aren't just like one or two game franchises that have kept up this level of excellence. And it's really, I can just really a handful uh, of games. Like every, every canon Fallout game is great. Mm-hmm. Starting with the first one, which I think introduces, you know, introduces all of the unique setting and story things about this game that are, are so wonderful. Right. Um, so yeah, all of that's all of October. Actually, that's all of November. It's uh, the, the, episode, November. the episodes coming out November 1st and November the 15th. Shit. So we have forecasted quite a while. We will not, yes, we we'll not talk about our uh, our games coming up for for a ways. But you have the rest, most of the rest of the year. Yeah. So you know what uh, what to be playing if you want to play along with us. Um, one thing I want to mention, and uh, this episode is already very long, so I thank you for your patience. But um, this is the last episode that's coming out before PAX. If any of you will be at PAX Prime, um, I will be there wearing a Watch Out for Fireball shirt. Uh, come hell or high water, <laughs> and the uh, uh, come say hi to me. I will have a dictaphone with me if you have anything to say about the show or anything at all. Um, we'll probably put together like a little bonus episode, and I'll talk about some of the stuff I saw at PAX. Um, might end up just being like an extra long extra episode of me just like talking to, to Cole about PAX. But um, yeah, so I will be there. Definitely say hi to to me if you'd like. Nice. Um, I can't think of anything else. Uh, we're going to be together 
at the Portland Retro Games Expo at the end of September. So if you want to come out to that, if you're in the Pacific Northwest area, uh, we're going to have a table. We're going to be playing. Um, should we say what we're going to be playing? Yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, we're going to be playing Super Mario World, which is a game that we have probably mentioned in every episode as the platonic ideal of what, do you, what a video game should be. We, we want to see if it holds up. And we, yeah. you know, we think that uh, if we have that at our table and somebody sees, hey, that's Super Mario World, they're going to come over and talk to us and play it. So we're going to do like kind of like a fun little episode about that. Yeah, it's a, it's a game that, you know, a, re- a whole episode would be hard to support because it would just be us saying how perfect it is Chris over Farley and show. over. Huh? It'd be the Chris Farley show. Yeah, exactly. Like, remember when <laughs> Super World did everything? Yep. It was great. <laughs> yeah. um, and then I, I think uh, you, unarguably the, the best Mario game. Yeah. Um, I'm really looking forward to playing that. And we're going to have, again, listener response, hopefully, on that and do kind of a, a bonus episode. we got a couple other little bonus episode things planned yeah. um, for that. So you might see the RSS feed blow up a little bit with some some unexpected episodes dropping at unusual times. Yep. Um, but it's all because uh, we're going to take this opportunity of being in the same time zone <laughs> to... Uh, you know, to, to do some stuff face to face. Yes. So, um, I think that's all of like the, the, the new business pertinent stuff that I can, that I can say, um, the new website. Um, I apologize that only the most 20, only the 20 most recent episodes are available on iTunes and through RSS. I have put in a ticket with Squarespace. Um, if you want to get that fixed, you can bug them about it. Um, the only, the, the only other option is writing my own RSS feed for that. I don't want to do that because it's really, really labor intensive. I left that behind. So that's going to be fixed here soon. Um, but, uh, you, you know, the, the, all that stuff is still there at duckfeed.tv. That's the best way to get a hold of us, to suggest new games for us to play, to respond to games. There's a nice little module there at the side, as I mentioned earlier. Um, and you can go back. You've already heard all the ways to get a, to get in touch with us. I don't want to go over all of that again. Um, the other thing. Uh, we don't mention this a lot because it feels kind of gross, but there is a section on the site called the tip jar. Uh, we're not going to be as crass as to ask you for money, but if you are going to be, or if you are going to be buying stuff off of the rainforest or Amazon as normal, normal, uh, normal people call it, um, you can actually use our link from the tip jar site to actually, uh, buy something and then we get 4% of what you spend. Uh, it doesn't yeah, cost you anything extra, helps support, uh, the network for bandwidth costs and things like that. Yeah, and the, and the, another way you can support if if you not financially if you don't use Amazon, which of course you fucking use Amazon. I don't <laughs> know anybody who doesn't use. You're Amazon. a human being. It's like you don't breathe air. I ordered something um, on Amazon during the show. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm ordering things on Amazon right now. I do it in my sleep. Um, the uh, the other way you can help out is obviously rating and reviewing us on Facebook or on uh, iTunes. Be my Facebook friend. Which our Facebook page has, has blown up. Um, we've got a oh, lot God, of yeah. uh, new Facebook friends. On an episode that is not quite as overlong as this one, we'll probably call out um, some of the, the new people who have joined up. Yes. Because that is uh, highly appreciated. So uh, friend us on Facebook. Tell your friends about us is the, the biggest thing you can probably do, do. Don't just tell your friends because like they might not like straight up appreciate it. We're a very specific flavor of podcast. But if you have another friend who shares your taste in video games or likes video games in general or is of a similar age to be like, oh, gosh, Earthbound, amazing, or Final Fantasy VI or any of these other games, like point them to that. Say like, hey, I know that you really love Mega Man X, so check these guys out and then, you know, do that. So it's not just indiscriminate, like, tell, you know, shot it from the rooftops kind of thing, but target right. Right. please right and yeah we, we'd appreciate that um and you know that's how we can grow so yep. we, we're you know we're doing this convention we're gonna try to get some some new listeners there but um that is the main way that we have grown yeah. and we would like to continue to because we love doing the show and we really appreciate you guys listening to it um in the meantime uh what are some things that we should watch out for 
Uh, we should watch out for overly, overly long JRPGs. We can't do too many of those in a year because it's exhausting. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Um, we should watch out for uh, creepy Harlequin doppelgangers of ourselves located in possibly our mother's vagina. Yes, we should. Um, um, we should I, also... I have had such a like a run of being inside my mother's vagina in video games lately. <laughs> like between this Binding and I, Binding of Isaac and Fear Three, I have spent so much time inside my mother's vagina <laughs> in the world of games. Like it, it is amazing. Like my my that that would be the theme of gaming for me in 2012. <laughs> and it's not on purpose or anything. It's just like I'm fighting monsters in my mom's vagina. Twenty That's do- what happens. Twenty twenty does up in them guts. <laughs> you know, you, you know, you know what else you should watch out for, Gary? Um, no. PK Fire. Balls. The sea, you're in the Sea of Eden, and you're you know whacking you're, you're whacking off krakens with a bat, um, not <laughs> yeah. whacking them off. Ugh, yeah. God damn it! Well, yeah, you um, did just say you're whacking off krakens. Yeah, I did just um, say that. That's, that's did you awkward. know that's why? Um, so sperm whales, the reason why they're called sperm whales is that they secrete this like waxy substance. Okay. That, and the first people who saw them, that's what they thought it was, and then named them a sperm whale. Huh. Like, can you, like, what What a weird direct, like, if you see a whale and it has some kind of thing that kind of looks like semen, would you then call it, like, a semen whale, like, sperm whale? That's well, so well, weird. Well, I wouldn't call it a semen because that's what I am. I would, I would be a sea person, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Or a semen, semen man. A semen. Um, <laughs> if, you, if you had a waxy, like, substance on you. 